What's up my fellow ambitious poker players and welcome to the Mechanics of Poker podcast in which me, Renee, aka The Wacko and Adam Carmichael deconstruct high stakes poker players, figuring out what it is about them, how they think, what they do that makes them so successful with an extra focus on the obstacles they faced and the skills they had to develop to surpass them. This podcast is brought to you by Poker Ambition. If you are ambitious about making more progress in your poker career, go over to their site, pokerambition.com and find out which service is best for you. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hi there, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of the Mechanics of Poker podcast. And for today's guest, we are going across the ocean to Brazil again. Recommended by previous podcast guest Zinhao, we will have a chat with the 2021 Online MTT Player of the Year, Pedro Garaknani. I hope I pronounced that correct. Better known as Pigar on PokerStars. He just had the best scoop ever in his 10-year poker career. And I'm very curious to talk about the eight-year path he walked to get to these levels of success. Um, winning player of the year last year and then having his best scoop now. Because as we all know by now, I think uh, that success doesn't happen overnight. Right, Adam? It's true. Success leaves clues. And our job is to bring those clues to the surface so you guys can learn from them. And yeah, he's had a very diverse background from our assessment, our questionnaire we gave him. He's got a sport background in sports. He's done computer science. He's a keen gamer. So he has a lot of... Uh, attributes that I want to bring out. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how his story progressed to being player of the year last year. So yeah, it's going to be super exciting. Yeah, I'm curious to get some tips on how to become player of the year as well. I'm sure many of our listeners uh, do as well. So without further ado, let's uh, start to have a conversation with Pedro. There he is, Pedro. Bem-vindo, meu Tudo bem? Tudo bem. First of all, uh, I want to congratulate you on your recent scoop run. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I think uh, I don't have a history of winning on scoops, I guess. <laughs> so it was thrilling. Uh, I've never had a scoop title. So that was cool. Yeah, definitely. I'm feeling good. So, so uh, the moral of the story straight away to begin with, don't give up, right? Don't give up. Uh, I don't think, uh, well, we can talk about that later, but <laughs> yeah, don't give up, kids. <laughs> so uh as you know in the pot we uh, like to focus on uh, the path that you have walked through throughout your career uh and given recent events right your best scoop ever i think you mentioned i wanted to go back to the first scoop or a scoop alike series that you can remember and i want you to think about what has changed between the first scoop you ever played and your recent scoop how has your approach towards a scoop-like event changed over the years. I assume that the first scoop wasn't as big as a success. As you mentioned, right? You had a hard time winning in scoop, so. Yeah, like, um, I have some uh, good opinions on, like, series overall. Uh, I've always been a guy who didn't, like, like, playing in series actually when I was playing mid-stakes um, I felt like as I've never been staked um, 
playing in series is like a way to just massively increase variance uh, in MTTs if you're playing mid stakes and not swapping or anything like 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 me. So I actually didn't get very like oh yeah scoops coming daily scoops coming or, or whatever because the fields would just increase a lot a lot of players who didn't usually play just came to play like like me I guess nowadays and fields are huge tournaments are more difficult buy-ins increase so I was just a guy who I kept to like I've never I kept like a really small uh, buying range you know um, tried to play not too not a lot below the, the average buying not too much above the average buying so I usually would be like oh yeah I guess I have to play but it didn't really get me so excited so I would usually focus my grind between series mm -hmm. um, like just grinding smaller field as small as you can get out of $50 binds and shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, you were um, very conscious about the swings that big field event. You were more focused on the downside of a big field event. Whereas I think, you know, the reason why people jump into scoops is because they have that dream. They see that first price. Whereas you saw like, yeah, okay, the first price is all good, but there's a lot of variance involved. This could screw up my, my year, for example. I think, I think you can, you can, man, you can face like, <laughs> I've never, I've never think thought about that before. But like, you can, like, face or imagine your bankroll. You you have an ICM like perspective on it. It's like if you bust, you're dead, and if you double up, well, you're still gonna be playing like basically whatever you're playing today. So <laughs> you need to conserve your bankroll. I think that that's something that. You you talked about I think life told taught you about that a lot like you you said in your podcast in your thirty minute video about your career mm -hmm. so not going bust is a very good objective when playing poker I guess <laughs> that's an interesting approach I would say especially tournament players they will have more of the mindset of thinking big whereas cash game you, you have a more of a cash game mentality I feel like because cash gamers are more of like the steady eddy. And you know you you don't take shots as aggressively because there's less of a big upside, and I can imagine there's a big allure in tournaments towards that upside. Like, oh, if I only bink this, then you know. Whereas in cash, you have that way less. It's interesting to see that that you don't have don't that you don't feel that attracted to that allure of winning big scoop events. Yeah, um, yeah, I've never been very much um seduced i guess by the huge prizes because i knew that they would come but like it's hard you know it's just a lot of people playing you you only get dealt two cards <laughs> and they also get dealt two cards you know everything can happen and i can so, like, imagine I just, i've heard i've yeah. heard that before that you were mentioning you were playing in between scoops because for example the week after scoop is probably insane value right yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get yeah, ridiculous value, like, and from. I mean, you have to. You have to consider the 
ROI you have on each wallet. It's like if you're playing a hundred dollar tournament in Scoop, you might have an ROI a little bit bigger than a regular weekday 100. But there are 10 times as more players. So like actually your bankroll will decrease more often when you play a, like a smaller, like even if you have like a little bit higher ROI on a $100 from Scoop, other like comparing to a non $100 tournament, your, your bankroll is still gonna like grow up bigger when you play the the easier the the lowest field one you know lower field because yeah just so like um i just started looking more to series when i was playing like an abi of 200 or 300 or something because then the 1000s were not that far away so i usually like sold action for many because one hundred uh, one thousand dollar one k buy-ins are just you can lose a lot in one k dollar tournaments like many hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> um, and that that's more interesting because you have more action like because like nowadays everything higher than five hundred is pretty much like not a good deal outside of series mm -hmm. with gg it's different right now because the one k's are insane value i guess even on weekdays but back then like four years ago or something it was just not very good just very tough tournaments just go there and just see darwin sitting everywhere and just like oh maybe it's not my place here <laughs> So you so you were avoiding the bigger series until your bankroll came to a point that, like you said, going broke is not really going to happen in this series, and you just were looking to increase your average buying and uh, series were the opportunity to increase that average buying. You were also, I guess, more comfortable with the fact that you could go on a big downswing, and that's okay. It wouldn't, yeah, like oh, you like, said, I, I, wise, it wouldn't take you out of the game. You could always hop back in after the series is over. Yeah, it's just like, I, I, it's not like I was, uh, I, I obviously was, I was playing the series, but not as intensely as I play today. Like, like back then, if, if I wanted to take a week off during the series, I would, if I would I'd do whatever I would, if I didn't want to play, I would play. It's not that I was, because I see, I see many people that are like, oh my God, Scoop's coming. It's like, now is the time. And I was like, no, it's not not the time. The time is like all the period before the series because, you know, yeah, you may think someone like, don't usually happen, like, especially when you're playing lower buy-ins. Just tough, tough to happen. So, I, so from what I hear of it, yeah. the intensity in which you put into series, so probably the volume and how serious you take it, because as you mentioned that now you do see it more as okay this is a good opportunity for me that is the main thing that has changed uh compared to your first scoop and your last scoop yeah 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 exactly all right interesting uh you mentioned that you got into poker uh introduced as many by friends when you were in university and you started playing a bunch and realized you had an edge okay yeah where did that feeling that you had an edge came from? 
what made you feel like you had a natch? <laughs> well, I mean, on the back in 2010 or something, I was already like like posting some in a in two plus two, and I, I had like some kind of strategy, like a default strategy. And I've read a couple of books, which obviously nowadays are not good information anymore. But back then was something. Like and when I when I was playing, I, I just saw like people were just gambling. You know, they, they didn't have like a strategy or they weren't training poker as like as a game. It was just splashing around, limping all in. And I was like, man, this is serious money here. It's just even even like I think I think in Brazil is more aggressive because like the cost of living here comparing to Europe or US is very like lower, you know, as you know. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, man, I can easily make like five hundred dollars a week, you know, or something, or four hundred dollars or two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars a week in Brazil today is a lot of money, right? It's like way above average of the population if you if you make two hundred dollars a week here. So I was just like, man, these guys, like, I know I don't know shit. These guys definitely don't know shit. And I'm like, I'm going to get better than, I'm, than I am right now. And these guys are not going to get better. So I'm like, this is an opportunity here. I just viewed as an opportunity. It's just, yeah. So that caught me like instantly. I just, yeah, I need to play. <laughs> Like a lot of money just flying around. And so you you really saw the 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 financial opportunity. You were like, okay, wait, if these guys are just splashing around and I have a solid strategy, I will make a lot of money. Wow, this is a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just great opportunity. Yeah. What were some of the first uh, strategical eye openers you had? You said like, okay, I, they, you identified <laughs> that they were gambling. So you, you know, in order to identify that someone is gambling, you have to first understand what is sort of correct. What were, do you still remember something like a first eye open? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh shit. Yeah. This, this really works. Yeah. Cause like when I started playing, it was just like, oh, this guy has a king or something, you know? Uh, and I, I remember one of the, I think the first book I read, Man, I actually, I went to my parents' house and I got, I, I got it. Like, it's the Green Book of Poker, you know? Ah, From, yeah, uh, yeah, I know it, I know it. I don't think I got it here, but like, we're just like, yeah, look at this content. But even, even like, even back then I was like, oh, this is shit, serious shit here. It's like very bad <laughs> advice. <laughs> oh, you, 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 you already knew that the advice you were getting in the book wasn't that great? Oh, from this book, mm -hmm. like, because I think it was not, it's not the first book. Like, I, I read a, a book called The Tournament Formula from a guy called Arnold Snyder. It was like a very big book. He, this guy was like a professional gambler. He made money in the 80s or something playing blackjack. And he, so he was like always trying to like create strategies to beat games. And he said, oh, if you have 10 big blinds, you have to move all in or something, you know? 
And then he plotted some graphs of his results in tournaments and shit. And he had a way to calculate how fast the tournament was. Uh, so I started playing uh, sitting goals with some push fold strategy. And that was like way ahead of the time, I guess, uh, like 12 years ago or something. So that was my first strategy. And like later when I was uh, discovering, like studying in two plus two, that was like a post about range, you know, ranges. Right. And I was like, wow, this is fucking crazy. It's like, oh, it's not about the hand you think the guy has. It's about the range of hands the guy might have, you know? So that was, and I remember a couple of friends of mine, they took like a really long time to get it. Like, and I was like, man, this is the shit. This is the shit. It's not like, it's very crazy when you have to change the way you perceive something. Like nowadays, it's, it's probably not going to happen, you know? Like this is the way you play and then someone says something and you're like, Jesus, like, you know? I think that was probably my first uh, aha moment, you know, when mm -hmm. poker was, was that, like transitioning from, oh, I think this guy has a plus to just, ranges you know ranges opening ranges and stuff so yeah that was that so you go back because before we started recording you mentioned that you were playing in the the local card room over in Curitiba I guess yeah yeah so you were going back to the tables and you were like range range what is it <laughs> what is your range yeah, and if you yeah. mentioned the word range at the poker table people were looking at you like well what's this weird guy talking about what do you mean range? Yeah, like I think I transitioned I transitioned fast like from a really bad young brat, you know, on the table. Like when I when I started playing, I was just like, oh, you shouldn't play like this, blah blah blah. <laughs> and I, seven months later, I was just like just befriending the guys, you know, hey, you know, nice hand, oh. you know, doing like some life poker stuff so i wouldn't ever mention any strategic words at a table like never and when some guys like some friends of mine would come to the table and they were like start talking strategy at a table with me i would just be like that's just there's nothing worse for a for like a recreational player to hear strategy talk at the table it's just they can't stand it it's like very boring for a recreational player it, even like even for me actually just not a place to talk strategy <laughs> the poker table all right listeners yeah. noted if you're ever next to a figure pedro at your table don't talk strategy but you were very rare right like why wait the game is so good they i know things that they don't why should I start explaining myself? Why should I point them out that they're making a mistake? But actually, you said that in the beginning, you did have the urgency to do that. Where, where do you think that need comes from? Because there's many players who love explaining other players how they played the hand wrong and what they should have done. I think it's just a very childish way to need to affirm yourself. Like, I'm smarter than these guys here because poker is very social. And we have our needs as human beings, I guess. And like confirmation is... A very good way to just feel good like in the short term 
He was like, I'm, I'm better than these guys. Even though I'm losing, I'm better than them. So I'm good. And they're bad. <laughs> yeah, like just, a very... just a form of self-validation. And even worse, you're, you're putting other people down because you're pointing them out on the fact that they did something bad. And on top of that, you're pointing out that you are superior in your knowledge in this field. So it's double. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, just... that's not really the way to go, guys. If, if you're listening, not, not a mature way and also not a very positive way uh, to educate your opponents on what they're doing wrong. Not just in poker. <laughs> like... any, any examples? Not, you said not oh, just yeah, in poker. Love... Now, now I'm curious. In which like, because like obviously in poker it's a strategical game you're playing against someone. Um, yeah, it's like I have there's plenty of examples like when you like I do like I practice sports since I was a kid and the very common like gym talk. You feel like you're, you're working out and just just like oh did you see that guy oh he's definitely doing drugs it's like yeah that's why he got so huge. Yeah, I never do drugs. They're like, oh man, just <laughs> like you need to like. I feel like in the gym, the gym is a very clear example. Like people need to be like self fulfilling all the time, because uh, and they start to take talk shit about the other people because that's that's a way to like just feel good about yourself. It's just yeah, that guy is huge because he's he's taking anabolics like okay like so if you want to get huge just take some drugs what, what what's the what's the issue here i don't know because <laughs> like it's the it feels like people they need to have it's not like it's not i'm i'm not only strong and beautiful i didn't do drugs and that makes me a more moral like people in person you know like more i don't know i did work hard and this guy didn't because he did drugs yeah um, i understand what you mean they, they kind of get extra pride i think it's the same with people who take pride in let's say they're, they're good at, at poker but they never touch a solver and they're never going to because if they if they achieve the amount of success that they now have with a solver, it feels less of an achievement than if they did it without a solver. So they actually take pride of the fact that they are not making a very smart smart career decision by not consulting a solver. Uh, they're like, no, but I did it all without solver. So my achievement is worth more than your achievement. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's the same thing. Yeah. Instead of like, like doing everything you can, you just no, I'm just gonna do the old school way because it's tougher or something. Yeah, and basically, if you can do it the old school way, tougher, you're proving to the world that you're smarter. So, Adam, and any takes on this? What what is the what is the driver? You you are deep into human emotions and drivers behind what they do. I'm sure you have a good answer on this. You're like these guys have no idea what they talk about, Renee. Just ask me the question. <laughs> now you guys got it spot on, in my opinion. I think it's all about validation. It's about appearing smart, smart than your peers. Sometimes we'll shoot others down so we can elevate ourselves. And yeah, like you guys talked about with those examples, it comes from this moral high ground where we're like, I can put myself on a, a pedestal and look down on other people because I'm doing it the hard way, the right way, the politically correct way. And other guys are taking shortcuts. So uh, yeah, there's so many, so many like ups you get from that kind of negative 
perspective and yeah like when you don't play that game and you watch other people play it it's such a funny but also like toxic game i i, I see the same thing in the gym as well as uh, pedro said i spend a lot of time in gyms and the amount of trash talk about other people in the gym and how he's got so big and how they're slimming down so much and it's like all right just gossip 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 but it's all coming from a place of your insecurity is getting filled and your self-validation is coming from shooting down others which gives you some form of good feeling whether it's increasing your self-worth or decreasing theirs and if you can throw in some moral high ground on top of it awesome you feel amazing so <laughs> a lot of psychology in there nice yeah yeah, yeah. like in poker i must confess that like um poker is a is kind of weird in a way that you sometimes feels you need to seek validation especially when when you're losing for a long period of time you know what can give you comfort when you're losing? Like I've had some terrible like downswings. So I think there was a point that I was just breaking even in like year and a half or something, 14 or 15 months. And sometimes you just need some validation. Like, you know, like my comfort always came from like, I watched like regularly uh, saw my graphs in Poker Tracker so i know in, in entities there's it's not there's not a straight correlation between gpv bb per hundred and roi but at least it's something that you can control like if you're playing if you're winning more chips on average than everyone else so you probably like getting deeper into tournaments and that like will make you more likely to win tournaments so like and all this time i was like yeah, I'm, I'm playing okay, you know, I'm playing okay, I'm still studying ICM stuff, my HPV is good, so it's okay, you know, and sometimes you're like, you're facing like a very aggressive guy who like spills something off and be like, this fucker here, my bet is losing, and then you open chart scope and he's losing, and like, I knew, you cannot be a winning player if you play like this. <laughs> Like when, when you face some strategy thing that you never do, if you find out that this guy is winning, it just goes against what you believe. So it's better for your self-comfort that you discover that it validates that what you were thinking is right. So you feel better about yourself in this time. And like, I, think, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I think every 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 player does that, right? You like to maybe down talk a guy oh yeah he's just lucky uh so yeah, yeah so, so you yeah, at least feel good about your, <laughs> about your own downswing right uh yeah it's sometimes yeah, yeah, nice yeah. to see other players make mistakes especially when you're not doing so well it's like yeah you see they're, they're not playing that well either because if you're doing everything wrong and other people are on a some run against you they find all the great spots it suddenly feels like okay is everyone just so much better and then sometimes it helps to see other players make mistakes you're like yeah you see yeah yeah exactly it's just, uh, it's, it's just, I'm just saying that because like, I'll, I'll be like, yeah, all these guys in the gym, they don't know what to do. But like, you sometimes, like, often you, you yourself, you do this kind of stuff as like needing validation, especially like in a tough environment as poker is like. No, and especially in the short term, like what you said, the chip, the chip EV, if you're in a downswing for four months, but your chip EV looks good, you know, there's no panic, but I can imagine that after 12 months or even one half year, you said, yeah, 
just saying but my chip ev graph you know at some point it's like okay maybe <laughs> i'm really doing something wrong and then you get especially you start doubts starts to creep in when you see guys playing with different than you maybe alternative strategy playing this cannot be good and then you confirm and he's also winning yeah then doubt really kicks in yeah 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 but it's uh i think downswings are the only thing that actually makes you like a good poker player because it's just like you invest in the stock market it won't always go up you know it's just you have to suffer <laughs> that's what makes it suffer i guess so i usually try to see everything that happens at the poker tables or within your poker career i always try to look at what is the opportunity and it seems like you're touching on something similar here when i'm in a downswing like okay guys i gotta confess this doesn't always go well okay but and i try to always remember myself what is the opportunity in a downswing which is to lose less money than my opponents would have lost if they had the same bad run of cards it seems like you're touching on something similar correct I've, I've never thought about it this way but it's a it's a cool way to think about it yeah yeah when you're in an upswing your goal is okay how the opportunity is how can i make more money than my opponents given the card distribution that i'm being dealt right some people maybe when they're in an upswing they play less uh and if you still play more while you're in your upswing then that's an opportunity for it whereas in, in a downswing some people maybe spew off more if you spew off less then you made money so it feels like you're making money in a downswing I think it's very important to try to look for these kind of things just to keep keep you sane. Cool. Yeah, I've never thought about it this way, but it's a. I think it's a good, cool perspective. Like, yeah. Yeah, if you get a bad beat, okay, your opportunity is to respond better to that bad beat than an other opponent would do. So how can, so the bad beat is out of your control, right? But how you continue your session after that bad beat is perfectly within your control. And that will determine your edge over your competition. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's very easily said now, eh? where you get another set over set at some point, you're like, yeah, fuck you, uh, Mr. Wacko, with your opportunities. <laughs> oh, set over sets are. Do you know that, like, what tilts, tilts me most is like, losing in the last card you know or just i don't know it's just feels i think i think if, if poker is just you went all in and the all five cards would just be thrown in the table at the same time it would be like is easier like <laughs> to survive yeah. i don't know they, they should have that function for us professionals i can understand from a gambler perspective this is a very bad idea this will definitely get a lot yeah, of professionals yeah, out yeah, of the yeah. game but if we can just have an option just don't slower us just until the river is dealt, then suddenly all the cards you know? <laughs> but actually, I, I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this and like, wow, my idol Figar, you know, he still gets tilted off rivers. You know, it, it's it's <laughs> sometimes we think like, you know, people at the top, they're 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 no longer human. But if these kind of things, for example, can still tilt you and frustrate you, that's very reconcerning for people who are trying to get to the same levels of success as you do. Do you, do, 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 yeah, do you understand what I mean? Like if, if you look up towards someone and you realize, oh, wait, he's only human as well. It, it makes it feel a little bit more attainable. Yeah, it's just, man, I think it's, you cannot take away the emotion in the game because 
it's such a stressful game. And if you don't get happy about like some regular stuff, and if you don't get upset about some stuff, it will be just, what's the point of playing, you know? It's a game after all. If you don't get pleasure out of it. It's, so you just have to work to this emotion will affect your game in the future, you know? But it cannot be just whatever all the time, you know? Because I don't know, it's just doesn't make sense for me. When did you first learn this? Because this we're talking sort of emotional maturity right now. But in the beginning, I'm sure you struggled a lot with your emotions, right? Because poker is not fair. You feel entitled. Why do they win? I'm so much better. Yeah. When? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I, I think I have I have a bad habit of not like forgetting what I was at some point in time. <laughs> Just feels like I've been the same person forever, you know? It's like when you grow old, I mean, you, you only grow old because people who haven't seen you in a long time, they look at you and they're like, oh, you're fucking old. Because like when you, when you see yourself every day in the mirror, you're just like, I've always been like this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. But I still I, feel 27. Oh, aren't you 27? Oh. Oh, thank you. No, I'm 35, 35. But every birthday, I, I always turn 29, actually. I've stopped counting. Oh, yeah, yeah. That. I think 27 is probably the best. Like, you know, you're you're kind of far away from the 20s, but you're still in the 20s. And 30s seem far away still. So and, End of 20s, I think, like, is a good, good age. You know, you had the time to build a certain level of success because if you're 20, broke... You know, it's, it's not as romantic yeah, as it sounds. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you end in your 20s, you know, you had some time to build some sort of career. You, know, you can actually enjoy it. But co coming back to the emotional emotional part, because to to give my, my perspective on that, like it's very hard to deal with your emotions. And I think then a lot of players, they sort of make the switch of like, okay, emotions are bad. I should just control all my emotions. Down, yeah. Did you experience something similar? Because we find, we try to find ways to cope with, the quote quote unfairness of the game of poker and i think a default response then is to just not show your emotions and then just to keep it in which is a good no. temporary solution but long term it's not very sustainable you experienced mm -hmm. something similar no 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 i was just like from the beginning I, I knew that like i cannot shut down my emotions it's just it's impossible you know i mean you're brazilian I mean, is it <laughs> no, it's I'm not doable. human. It's like no human. <laughs> good point. Good point. Good correction. All the Northern Europeans listening. Yeah, I know you guys have a heart as well, man. I know it gets cold and it gets dark where you live, but you still have a warm heart, I believe. <laughs> and uh, so it's just like, well, I cannot kill my emotions. Like, what can I do? Like, I'm gonna feel stuff. You just have to work to this stuff you feel won't like make you play less or worse. It's just this is the mechanism. I think it's that's like for me it was very logical, you know. Like it's like it's like your parents, like if they never fight, then 
eventually they will burst like in every in every relationship you know you have to have a balance between like if everything is good all the time then it's not good if everything is bad all the time then it's definitely not good so you have to have a balance in order to not blow up that makes sense relationship advice from figure is you need to have big fights in order to have great sex is that my takeaway no i, I didn't so i didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> Uh, Adam, uh, we keep on touching <laughs> on points. That's actually your 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 area of expertise. Sorry for every time hijacking uh, hijacking topics that I'm sure you like to talk about. I remember we had a session, and you actually helped me with this as well uh, of really feeling the emotion. And we had a whole podcast with Ben and Ben Pete for people who are interested. Definitely go check that out. Where we talked a lot about this, and it was really experiencing the emotion. And kind of creating a little bit of distance. So you experience the emotion doesn't mean you automatically have to react to the emotion, right? Creating sort of a distance between the stimulus and your actual response. Could you yeah. maybe give some uh, tips to our listeners? Yeah, exactly. I think what Pedro was saying to begin with is we've got to acknowledge, first of all, we're human. And second of all, poker is a very emotional game. It brings a lot of emotions to the surface because we put a lot of our identity into it. We put a lot of time into it and there's money involved. And then you throw in this thing called variance and things don't go away. And you've got a nice cocktail for a lot of emotions coming to the surface. Now, as a poker player, rather than trying to numb those or become a robot or avoiding them, you've got to learn to go through a whole range of emotions as a poker player and to accept them and bring them in. So the way I look at emotions, you have a trigger, which is generally a stimulus. Let's think about the river for Pedro. Someone going to hit a two out on the river. That's a trigger an event that creates an emotional response in the body. Why? Because you're a human. And that emotion is going to come up to the surface and the brain doesn't like that. The mind does not like the emotion. So because the mind doesn't understand the emotional response, it tries to come with some rationale or push it away, anything but experience the emotion. We also create a story around the emotion of why this guy's an idiot. How, how do you get so lucky? Happened to me again on the river. We tell a story. We give a meaning to the events. And this is like kind of the the kind of uh, petrol on the on the flames that makes the emotion even worse. And this creates a response. We either act out or we avoid the emotion or we'll do something as a response to that emotion. When we gain the ability to regulate our emotions, which I call it emotional regulation, we create space between that whole cascade of events. We watch the trigger. We watch the emotion build up. We see ourselves experiencing a bit of anger, a bit of frustration. We see our mind going, da, 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 tell all these stories. And we watch that process. And we create space from it. And over time, we become the observer of that process. And it takes time. This is like a real hard skill for new poker players. Like it's, 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 it's the thing I work with a lot of players with. And in their first one to two years, it is very, very challenging. It's even hard to build a baseline for this because you need to experience so many emotions consistently and realize I'm okay. Let's not freak out. But yeah, even as an experienced player like Pedro and Waco, you guys are still going to have your emotions that come up. It's going to be less frequent, but it's going to be certain situations that cause certain emotions. And when you see that happen, you'll realize there's a big story going on in your mind that you're telling yourself about the situation. You're struggling to accept reality because reality is you've lost. Game over. See you later. And you're trying to you create some importance. This is a very important event. Shouldn't happen to me. Why me? Why now? There's a narrative. So uh, to work on it, you've got to create space with that story so observe your mind trying to rationalize it but also don't avoid your emotions feel them feel the full range and i think this is the hardest thing i experienced as a poker player i did not have a clue however pedro was saying we've got this warm heart and we, we go cold my heart was an icicle and it was frozen and had like blocks around it and i just put it in this cage i was like whoa something's coming out push it back push it back and when i started experiencing emotions 
lots would come up and it was almost like overwhelming at times. But as soon as I started to go for a process of not running from emotion and being with it, that's all you need to do. Emotions are energy rising, be with an emotion, all of a sudden it's not, not as scary. And you can actually make a lot of developments with your ability to handle emotions just by being with them. So yeah, we could go forever on this uh, topic from my perspective, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's how I see emotions trigger, the meaning you give that trigger and the response that comes with it that you need to, to work on. Yeah, really, really allowing the emotions in. And I remember also in a coaching session that we did because I, when I start rushing, maybe uh, some listeners or maybe even Pedro can relate to that. If I start to rush in my game, I feel like I'm rushing away from a certain emotion. So every time now when I'm rushing, I'm trying to stop and like, okay, what am I experiencing or what am I feeling? What are my emotions? Which emotions are coming up that I'm not trying to experience by rushing through a hand, for example. Let's say you're in a tough decision. You just rush through that decision because you don't want to feel lost in a certain hand. I might just make a quick decision just to get away from the spot. Does that uh, sound familiar, Pedro? Um... No, not, not, not for me. I, this is not, I think this is not the way that I, um, um, Mars, I don't know the word. I mean, I'm very usually like, uh, in hand, I'm very like focused. I don't, I don't feel like this is not the kind of thing I do. It, it actually is just, it's cool having this conversation with you because I think we as poker players, we, we don't talk about this stuff, you know, usually between poker players. It's like, what do I do when I go on tilt? Like most people won't even know what, what do they, like, what do they do? Like, you know, what, what you do when you're tilting that shows some you know, recognition. You have spent time developing this part of the game. Like most, most people, they just don't know. Oh, I go on tilt and lose. Like knowing your exact point in which I rush through decisions when I'm on tilt because I don't want to feel the pressure of playing and having to take take decisions. But this is a very, you know what you do when you're on tilt, right? So I don't do this this way, but I do other things that you probably don't do. So it's- You have an example? Uh, I think I get more, uh, I call down people, wait, I usually call down people, but I call down people more and I, I want to go all in preflop more frequently, I guess. Yeah. So that's good. Also, for example, I noticed when I want to go all in preflop, it feels like you sort of can, I, I, I will have that tendency when I'm a bit lower in confidence. Because getting it in preflop, if the spot is just plus a fee, you can no longer make a mistake. Does that maybe then sound familiar if you're not playing so well? If you just get it over with preflop, you don't have to make more decisions on a later street. And if you're not feeling in a very confident mood and it's a tricky spot, you try to avoid that tricky spot by just getting it in preflop or you just yeah, want to like, gamble it up. No, I think like this is true for cash games because... Uh, in tournaments, there are spots where you cannot call through it. You just, you know, you have to shove or not. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's easier for MTT players to relate to this than it's like, I don't know, if I it's five suited with 40 bigs, you open and the guy threw bets from a cutoff or something, and just it's not a very good call. Hey, shot, and then the guy has it, and you're just like, oh, I always have it. 
I think this is the kind of story. So I actually we got we we drifted a little bit of topic, but a hey, good good stuff. I'm sure uh, I'm sure the listeners uh, could relate to many of the things that we were saying. But I wanted to quickly go back to you playing in your local card room, Kurichiba. At what point did you decide, like, hey, I'm gonna do this for a living? You saw the earning potential. When did you sort of decided to turn pro? Was this like a conscious decision, or at some point you were like, oh, I guess I'm spending an awful time in this card room and I'm making way more money than in other things that I could make money in. So I guess now I'm a pro. Yeah, so like, there's no trigger, like on off like i'm pro i'm not a pro you know you just happen to be a pro and i feel like it's the same way in many areas like it's not like you get a degree and you get a job and now you're an engineer you know like even when you're a professional athlete it's the same if you're a professional investor you like it's when you quit everything else and just focus on that um I felt like it took me a year to like actually drop off college, you know, because I've always pondered like I need to have like a way up, you know, just I'm not gonna quit everything and just start playing. So I was trying to like barely maintain my my college uh, studies while I was playing. And that was a time where it just became unsustainable. It was just, I cannot go to college. It was just like physically impossible for me. Just like staying in the class because I was making like a steady amount of money in the past 12, 12 months or something. And then I, I was trying to work with my father as well. And there was a day that I, the first week of, of, of classes, it was like Friday afternoon, I was having like a class that I already had before. And it was just painful, just physically unbearable. And I was just like, I'm not gonna do this. Just like, no way I'm gonna do this, this homework shit. <laughs> the, I went to like a, a bar, like on the way home and I got a little bit drunk and I was like just rambling with random people. And I was like, I don't want to do this shit anymore. And then there was a guy, I think it was, this guy just he marked me. He, because I was like just mumbling. Uh, and he was like, man, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, man. Just go there, do your shit. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this fucking shit. So I went home. I was just like, on, like bursting in tears, like, just raging in the world. So I, I got home and I was like, went straight to my room, wrote a letter to my parents saying, this is what I'm gonna do. There's no, there's nothing you can do about it. So I hope you understand. So my dream was to live in Vegas. So I said, I'm trying to like make my nation live in Vegas. And if that doesn't work out, I'm gonna go back to, my, to college and that's it. I like wrote up a deadline or something. Because my parents were not like who in his, who in in his right mind is gonna support like <laughs> your kid like turning poker pro? You no, know, it's just like I wouldn't probably as well. So like they were right, and that was just some kid 
So I just gave them a deadline, just like, oh, I have one year from now, one year and a half from now. If, if I don't go anywhere, then I, I will go back. And they accepted. And fortunately, things went right. So I think that's probably when I turned pro, you know, and I decided to just play poker. Yeah, I think I think many people can relate to this, right? If I would have a kid and he say, "Hey, I'm gonna turn professional gambler," you usually have the good intention in mind for your kid. Like <laughs> professional gambler does not really sound like the thing that I want my kid to become. And especially ten years ago, where you didn't have that many good examples. For example, if you would now want to turn pro, you're a kid in Kudichiba, You want to turn pro, you can give the examples of Figar, of Nerd Guy. You know, there's there's many examples. Yeah, yeah this is how they do it, right? But ten years ago. The market was was not as professional as it is now. No, no. Yeah, it was just yeah, like a shot or something. I was pretty confident, but who knows? You know what could have happened. Adam, how did your uh, environment react when you said, uh, "Bye, mates. I'm off to uh, I'm off to Thailand to play poker." How did that go? <laughs> Over a new call, so they were like, "Not a good idea, Adam." Or they were like, "Yes, go, Adam. Thailand poker gambling. This is you." Well, I did the opposite approach to Pedro, and I bullshitted my way through it. So Pedro did the honest approach, wrote a letter to his parents that he's going to start playing poker. I did the inverse. So I just graduated from uni. I'm living at my parents' house. Can't get a job. Wasn't trying very hard to get a job, but I couldn't get one. <laughs> and my friends were like, "Adam, we found people making lots of money playing online poker." Do you want to give it a try? So we're giving it a try. It's one for a few months in England. Wasn't working. Very uh, distracted social life. Lots going on in our yeah kind of social group. And we felt really distracted at home. So my friend was like, Adam, let's go to Thailand. We'll get a villa for three months and we'll play poker nonstop. If it works, amazing. And if it doesn't, then it's a fun story. So I told my parents I was going traveling and I'd saved up some money. He was like, how do you save money? I was like, I've saved some money. I'm going traveling. So we went to Thailand and all my friends thought it was a joke. Every, every one of my friends thought it was like, what do you mean? You don't, I don't understand how you're going to make this work. And I was like, I don't need that, but we're going to get a villa. We're going to play poker every day. If it works out, we'll extend it. And yeah, luckily, same as Pedro, you never know how much run goods you need in those scenarios. But when you're naive, you've got a kind of ambition and a dream. And yeah, things work out in the first three months. That became six months. We're now on year 11. I'm still in Southeast Asia. I've made it about a two-hour flight to Bali in the recent times. But other than that, I, I've been on the this side of the world from poker coach and poker player. So it worked out okay. But yeah, in terms of support from my environment, I think it was my second year when my mum cornered me. She's like, Adam, tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you're really doing. I was like, oh, shit, I wanted to tell I play poker. Okay, I'm playing this yeah, game. Two so years. Two years, yeah. Because I was traveling. I was in Asia. And she thought I was just traveling around backpacking. Uh, and she was like, how are you affording this? And I was like... Don't worry, it's nothing criminal. It's just a playing a card game. But yeah, she was really anti-poker. Yeah. She was literally, yeah. <laughs> even like, even year four, I, I would go home and she'd have like newspaper cuttings with jobs in the local paper. I don't know if you tried this, she could, you know, this application. So it took a while, but now, yeah, I think by year five, year six, she started to be okay with it. But I think that the challenge is with your parents in particular. I think your friends can get on board quite quickly. Your parents just don't have enough information to understand what you're doing. And it just seems reckless at every single level. Even I remember trying to explain the game and I, was, I thought I'd done a good job. I did a PowerPoint little presentation for them. And I was like, this seems ridiculous. It doesn't seem real. I was like, no, no, it is. It's a, it's a game, we've got edge in it. And they're always like, well, quit, quit while you're ahead. You've, you've done well so far, quit while you're ahead. I was like, 
doesn't work that way. You increase your age. <laughs> so yeah, it took a while. And then I think for me, I accepted that. Potentially you did a PowerPoint presentation to your parents? <laughs> just, a, just a simple one. Yeah, showing them graphs, showing my win rate increasing over time, how uh, expected EV for the next year ahead and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Did, it didn't work. Honestly, it was a waste of time. I wish I had just shown them. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had stayed in my breath. <laughs> yeah, but I think it, it's is, a tough one. Yeah. The, the only way to convince your parents or your family is you have a constant influx of money. There's there's nothing else. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's been like 12 years since my, my father gave me money. So that's, you know, that's it. Yeah. There's nothing else. <laughs> I, I agree. There comes a point where your parents don't really understand, but they're like, all right, well, you must be doing okay for yourself. And if you look at your parents' perspective, all they want is for you to be okay, you to have everything covered, you've got security, you're not being reckless, and you're going to have a, a good future. If you can prove that because you've you have earned a lot of money for a period of time and you don't need support, you've earned their validation and you're now an adult, well done, you can graduate into doing your own thing and running your own life and you don't need their support. So yeah, I think it's a, I think a lot of players try to get that validation too early or they just want, like you said, like that letter you wrote, imagine your parents were like, great idea, yeah, drop out and do it, go you, you'd be like, all right, you, you guys are a bit crazy. <laughs> it's not yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. So yeah, I think like you said, long-term success and yeah, you'll just get validation eventually or approval all or just go right do your own thing we don't care just we, we know you're safe and it's, it's okay so for you yeah, like yeah getting into Sorry, go. yeah because like they like i mean my parents are pretty old and they just lived a very the life people lived in like in their times so i understand them but like for example my mother still wants me to have like a a degree just mm -hmm. i don't know why it's just like get a degree like what's the point of having like a piece of paper saying that i'm something you know it's like like she would love to have you know me like, i don't know i don't know maybe you should try it's the a... mechanics of poker we give a certificate at the end when you complete the program you can show that one to your mother say look i made it Mechanics, it's like, do I get like an engineer title or something? Engineer of poker? Yes. No? Engineer of poker. poker. Mechanic yes, mechanics of poker, of poker engineer. <laughs> yes. Hey, you look, mom, I made it. I'm a mechanic right now, man. <laughs> I mean, when you get invited over to podcast, that's also good validation. So if you just oh, yeah, forward yeah, to yeah. this, look, mom, they asked me, they invited me to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, true, true. In English, and she wanted to. Wouldn't even be able to understand. Just <laughs> yeah. So I want to uh, jump in at the start of your before your poker story when you said you played competitive swimming, and I think recently you've competed in CrossFit. What is it about competition that you enjoy, especially physical competition? What is it about those things that attracted you when you were younger? I've been thinking about that lately, and I think it's a good topic topic to bring to my my psychologist <laughs> because i don't i don't actually know and i'm i've been thinking more about this kind of stuff and like i wasn't very good as like as a swimmer i was okay like i was i, I definitely wasn't talented 
and like all the way through high school like swimming was basically the only thing that made sense I felt like high school was just tedious um I didn't see much of a an objective there but swimming made sense in a way that other stuff didn't even though I wasn't very good just I think sports have this um trait or characteristic that you you have some more control I guess if you like if you work hard you will get better and that's something that I think feels more tangible you know I can get good here I may not be Michael Phelps but like I'm gonna be something and I'm gonna improve and and I felt, I felt like improving was was good as when you're in high school it's just there's no you have to just fill tests and uh, do homework there's not much of a end game there or something so I felt like swimming was more more mine I guess mm -hmm. than all the other stuff and it made more sense up until the time that it didn't make sense anymore so <laughs> you just go to the next thing I guess yeah I can relate so, to that almost exactly because I did middle distance running from a similar age I think you started swimming at 11 I think I started running at 11 as well and yeah it's one of those things where it's kind of you versus you and you know like regardless how good you are relative to the people you can get better by showing up to training three four five times a week and you've got your own times that you can compete against so anything else that's going on especially when you're younger you're a teenager and there's all sorts of exams and people are pushing you to do loads of things that you don't really want to do but like a sport you can choose that to compete against yourself and your work ethic and how much you put into it will generally be rewarded it's fairly linear unless you get injured but generally you're going to improve year on year relative to the the work you put in and that gives you this good feeling that i'm doing something worthwhile i'm growing I'm not sure what, if, what your parents' situation was like, but my dad was a, a former runner, so I got lots of validation from my dad. But every time I did well oh. in the race, he's like, well done, you're doing great. If they're good at school, he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, nice, great, but get rid of that. Done a good in the race, I got lots of validation. Did any of your parents <laughs> um, like your swimming, or were you were you kind of um, trying to impress yeah. any of your parents with swimming? No, they, they, they were... I have to thank my parents for that, because they raised me, like, with a ton of values that... Um, probably gonna pass over like uh, they put me into musical school they took me to to the train to training like every day so they invested a lot of me in me even though they weren't athletes or anything but they were very supportive of of me doing uh, sports i guess uh yeah and I have to thank them for that because it was very important for me. And I feel like um, when you're an athlete, especially a young athlete, you're faced with tougher things than average than an average kid. You know, like because like there's not much sense of accomplishment when you're in high school, for example. There's no like what's the difference if you get an A or a B, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the point, you know, and it, it was easy for me, but, but like, you have to like, you, you, you experience a lot of things 
that you experienced in poker while practicing sports just there was like I, i'm sure you can relate to that as as a runner you train for a year and you your times just don't get better just like just like one year and a half and you're still your best time was one year or two years and you're but you still keep like working on it because because that's what you do like when you're on the downswing in sports and athletes i think they're more prepared to deal with tough situations in life i guess and and i remember my coach said something to me that was like i took for my all my life is like nothing is lost you know this is all training i mean you, you didn't you didn't matter to to improve you didn't matter to to improve your your times and your you didn't mean, manage to win this competition but nothing is lost like all the knowledge all the all the things you gathered in this in this time will still be with you and will make you like a better person in the future and that was very comforting actually wow that's some deep wisdom that i like that and that's really good to hear when you're a teenager as well because you're you judge yourself so much on whether you beat your time whether you won the race and yet nothing is lost like what's well, a great and sometimes when you're young you don't realize like kind of when people are giving you good advice that that's going to come in handy down the line but now you can probably look back on those moments where like you said you were i think as an athlete or any sort of sport you compete in you learn to deal with high emotions you learn to deal with failure you learn to deal with putting effort into something and that effort not getting rewarded you learn to deal yeah. with losing on a regular basis and not living up to expectations of yourself, your peer group. So uh, there's a lot that goes into that. And even though like looking back, when you think of the events you competed in for myself, like lots of the running events were very insignificant just like a, a local meeting. But at the time that was the biggest event in the world. That was the Olympic final. And if I didn't run good, the, the, the things are going to crumble in my world. So uh, yeah, it's good for getting you to respond to those heightened emotions. And I'm guessing for you as a high stakes MDT player, when you're on a final table, you've got more experience of dealing with like performing under pressure based on your on your sporting background. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So like swimming is, is something I I'm very proud of when I, when it's when I talk about my life, you know, in my earlier like days you know because i felt like it meant a lot even though i wasn't like national level i was state champion a couple times it was cool it was awesome but i don't think that was the point you know like i mean you work so hard in order to win and winning is great it's just like I can, you can relate to like playing tournaments, you know. Um, it is awesome to win, but you don't win often. <laughs> you win yeah. sometimes. Remember that great advice: nothing is lost. And yeah, it's one of those where you put the work in, and you may not get rewarded today. But yeah, I love I love that. I'm gonna use that one a lot. Yeah. So for yourself, when you uh, transitioned into poker, what were some of the initial challenges you faced? We've talked about uh, the family not being overly supportive. Uh, any other challenges you faced in like, your first year of taking poker up on more professionally? When I was playing live, the games were so soft that I um, I just needed to keep, like, I was very, uh, like, I, I, worked, I worked hard, like, uh, played, like, five or six days a week on a, like, very regular schedule. And 
that was great. Like, I mean, I, I've always took notes, not notes, but like I input all the sessions in a session manager or something. So I remember one week that I lost every single day for like, like eight days or something. I remember that week and the feelings I had. Just like sometimes when you're on a downswing, you just feels like you're definitely gonna fail. Like long term, you know, it's just something that like if this keeps this, like if it keeps up like this, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna make it. <laughs> Uh, I think the the worst uh, the worst thing to deal about with poker is when you question like the whole jobs. Like maybe it, maybe I won't make it. You know, maybe I'm I'm not gonna be able to be a professional poker player. Maybe that's not even a thing. Maybe everything is a bullshit. Or, you know, it's like maybe there's nothing I can do. When you feel hopeless, I think that's that's the worst about it. Like uh, and also, you know, I had I had experienced I had experienced that sometimes, obviously, as many people. So that was one of the toughest parts to deal with the uncertainty of the future, I guess. So let's walk us through how you actually deal with that, because I think it's a really important thing to touch on and like you said one of the worst feelings as a poker player is doubting everything your ability to make this game to be profitable this game to make the career work the choice that you've made to be go pro might just crumble in front of your eyes the whole thing might go to, to shit so in those scenarios when you do feel hopeless it's probably the worst kind of feeling you can have how did you come out of those patches what, what are some of the things you did during a hopeless patch or a, a desperate patch that allowed you to weather that storm I have like a a motto or not a motto, just something I I think it's very valuable. It's like taking time off. You know, mm. I think it's very underrated. People don't talk about a lot about it, but like every time, every single time I experience like the worst like times of my career, I just stop playing or like just take some time off of game. You know, not thinking about it, just do some stuff. I remember in this. <laughs> In this this uh, week, I told you about that I lost like uh, I lost like a decent chunk of my bankroll, but not not too much. It was just twenty percent or something in a week and in seven eight days. So I went to the shopping mall and I bought a television because I like, well, if I'm gonna bust, at least I'm gonna take something with me, you know, like. <laughs> Something is gonna stay. Oh, I have this feeling about Bitcoin sometimes. It's just <laughs> so like I was just no. Okay, if I'm gonna bust, I'm gonna have something. So yeah. So like so many times when I'm just down in the bottom of the below, just like I need to go do something else. Um, go to to have a, a vacation because when you're that bad i don't think that there's nothing much you can do you know you're feeling hopeless and and your dreams are being shattered and everything is going bad you just go back see that life still goes on outside go to the you know go to a restaurant eat do stuff you love and you feel better you know and then you have energy to start 
is to start over, I guess. I think this is a good thing to do. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And yeah, I think one of the most powerful things of taking a break is you get to change your perspective because very often you're so zoomed in with poker and your life and poker become almost like merged into one thing. And when poker is going really badly and you're in this hopeless, desperate, despair state, it feels like the world's going to end. But in reality, you step away from your computer or step away from the casino, you go and spend time with friends, buy a TV. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, wait a second. Life's still good. There's lots, lots going on. And it, it resets your perspective. And then you realize, ah, I can still enjoy my life without poker going well. And then when you come back to poker, like I said, you're more energized, you're more recharged. And if you just power through those phases, it's really hard to uh, get any momentum. It's really hard to uh, change your state or change your, your way of seeing things because you've almost got these zoomed in glass, these glasses on, which are very pessimistic. They're very zoomed in. And mm -hmm. life looks very great with those glasses. And if you don't do something to remind yourself, wait, I'm a human. I've got more going on than this card game yeah it's very hard to shift that so yeah i think that's great advice taking time off would you take time off and spend with your friends would you do any holidays what, what sort of stuff you do to get away from poker i just do whatever like all the things that i that i enjoy like i would just like do not for you know a long period of time like like a week two weeks i think it's completely fine i'm actually on a two-week small vacation after after scoop because i played i don't know 50 days in a row because i was playing in monte carlo as well and i mean taking time off is something that i need to in order to just feel pleasure about playing again you know even even when i did well you know i did it i, have a, I had a great series but like i'm not going to enjoy poker if i don't enjoy life i guess there's no way it's impossible. It's like, why, why do you play? Why do you have to win? If you want to win a lot of money, but you don't do shit. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that. If you don't enjoy your life, you're not going to enjoy poker and vice versa. If you don't enjoy poker, but you won't enjoy your life too much. And yeah, I think it's really important to uh, understand what that balance looks like for you. It's like you said, you, you're capable of playing 50 days straight, which is a, a lot for, for most players. But at the same time, you're aware at the end of it, you're probably going to take a break to recharge and re-engage with your life. And yeah, just to find that balance, there's no like kind of magic formula, sweet spot. But I think understand when you're not enjoying life and not enjoying poker, there's no harm in taking a break. I work with some players who really struggle with this concept. They're like, no, no, taking a break's weakness. If I, if I take time off now, that shows that progress broke me. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. You're mature, you can step away, you can step back. So yeah, I think it's it's good to remind yourself that, yeah, taking breaks to pit stop and look after yourself are very valuable. How about for yourself, Rene? Do you take any, any breaks when things are going badly or anything to reset yourself? Yeah, for sure. But it's, uh, it's, 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 it's always easy to talk about on the podcast or in theory. And every time it hits you, every time when you think like, yeah, now, now I, I'm at a level where that doesn't influence me anymore. And then the next one comes along and you still fall back into old patterns. And sometimes you just need to step away to see like, oh shit, yes. Yes, I was, I was being way too pessimistic. Uh, you know, every time when someone raised the flop, you're like, yeah, I said again, I know. Like I, I know it for myself. If I'm in the downswing, just, I see sets everywhere. Everyone just has a set. That's just automatic. I, and my mind just goes, oh yeah, he probably has a set again. Oh yeah, I, he probably has a straight again. So I start to see the future as very pessimistic. So what I have to do if I'm in a downswing, I have to reinforce myself that the future is bright. You know, people don't always have a set or a straight, right? There's, you know, as going back to the big aha of Pedro, they have a range. 
They don't just, so I guess I stop ranging people. I just say, no, a set again, of course. You know, and then you get that narrative, right? Again, of course they have this again, you know, and you have to become aware of that. And I think when you step back, that narrative kind of goes away because you're not reinforcing it every day. So if you keep on playing on the downswing, you're reinforcing that that thought and those kind of synthesis and it only gets worse. And so you need to just step away at some point. Yeah, so, yeah, and that and definitely. that requires a level of awareness. What Pedro also said, I think it's very important that you're aware of your your tilt triggers or your behaviors when you're playing your C game or when you're just playing bad. Because if you're, it all starts with awareness. If you're not aware, then you don't know when you when you should take a break. Yeah, it's also I think for me it gets very physical. Like if I'm if I'm doing something that I really don't want to be doing, just I feel like physically ill or something, you know, just, so I'm not going to put myself through it. Like just, I, I have to stop something like urges me. It's like, why are you doing this to yourself? You know, my body is like, you care about yourself, your health, your, you go to the gym. Why are you suffering like this? Just take a break, man. Just my body telling me. <laughs> yeah. Refine your enjoyment. Right, you you talked about enjoying something else, but also refine the enjoyment in poker. When you're in a downswing, poker is not fun because you're not looking at the opportunities. You're not trying to improve. You're only focused on how bad you're running, and that doesn't make it any more fun. So you have to kind of snap out of it and see and try to make poker fun again. Right, first first do other yeah. fun activities to give you a little bit of energy, so you can use that energy to make poker fun again, and then from there, you know, poker becomes something that you enjoy. And that helps you achieve more like happiness in your life, right? You see, poker is poker is a part of your life that helps contribute to you being happy, right? Which in the end is uh, is the ultimate goal for everyone, I guess. Yeah, yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Poker Ambition, where me and Adam have created our coaching program, The Mechanics of. Poker. After having reached high stakes poker ourselves, we tested out this philosophy on our CFP students, which saw them rise through the ranks and double their win rate. We then took the best knowledge of that CFP program and turned it into the mechanics of poker so you can have that high quality content without the long term commitment and often hefty price that comes with a CFP program. Now I will be teaching you the technical side of how poker really works, how to think about the game and how to consistently get better. And Adam focuses on the mindset and performance skills you need to know in order to convert all that technical poker knowledge into more consistent profits at the table. Now this program is high level. It's made for professional poker players who have the ambition to break free from mid stakes and move up to high stakes poker. So if you're ambitious about your poker goals, go over to pokerambition.com for more information. And there you can also find a free one hour demo of everything that is inside the program. If you have any further questions, don't hesitate to reach out. But without further ado, let's get back to more goodness in this episode. You, you I think in this meanwhile, you were every time playing live in Vegas. When did you switch to online poker yeah so like <laughs> i went to to vegas with a 15k bankroll or something and i went back to brazil i had like 3k bankroll so it wasn't definitely not busted so i started playing 
I guess I was playing an L50 uh, cash games, but it wasn't, it was kind of a tough game actually, I mean, for me. And then I had, I had some friends, I had a friend, Alex, he still plays uh, MTTs. He was like, man, you gotta play tournaments. You're not understanding, man. This is the gold mine. I was like, no, tournaments are two variants, blah, 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 blah. And then like, I binked like, I, re I ran like insanely hot. I, I made like 70K in three months out of a 3K bankroll. <laughs> and that was, that was it for me, I guess. I mean, I, I remember I won, I won a 12, I think a, a 330 rebuy on full tilt for 12K or something. Three three thirty, and then on the Sunday I bought into the bigger one hundred nine in poker stars, and and won it for like thirty five k or something. It was like four in the morning, and and I woke up my parents. I was like, I won thirty five thousand dollars, and they would be like, What? What? What do you mean? Like one thirty five thousand dollars? Ah. <laughs> And then uh, that was that was it, and yeah, definitely tournaments were softer than cash games. Uh, probably still today, but it's changing. So I mean, I think it's a very you you need a di you need a different skill set. It's a it's a very different skill set. The two, like I don't necessarily mean the actual technical part obviously the games are played different because of the circumstances but you need a different skill set as well right you for example you play long hours for example you need a way more solid b and c game because you're going to play way longer hours than cash game players who play for two hours take a break right we are way more trying to focus on playing a game where you guys should be more focused on playing b and c game well for example mm. yeah yeah definitely I, I can also imagine that after those three months, your conditionings around variants in MTTs changed, right? You were like, oh, wait, there's actually way less variants in MTTs than I imagined. My skill proves itself, right? Everyone is bad. I'm good. I deserve this. When did that yeah. uh, turn around? I assume, you know, the next three months, the next three months, they, it wasn't like 70K every month, correct? No, no. It was like I started moving up in stakes pretty quickly. Uh so that was like, I came back from Vegas in 2013. So in August, I was, I made a ton of money in the next couple months. And then I started playing like $200 tournaments on full tilt. Those are very bad tournaments. And then I lost like 8K in four sessions or something. And I looked at my bankroll and I was like, um there's a problem here like if i can lose 8k in a week it means i can lose a lot in a month so which <laughs> is like oh definitely can lose a lot so i just and at that time I like my goal was to raise money in order to travel so i went traveling for like in south america for like three months or two months or something because I recently had made a, a 
like a trip in uh, in Europe, like a 50 day backpacking trip, which was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And then I thought I felt like life was about raising money and traveling. So then I I made all this money that I wanted. It was way more money than I needed to travel. Like I don't know years. And then I went backpacking in South America. And by the second month, I was like in Santiago. And I was like, it's like when you're traveling, it's, everything is new. But that, that becomes the, like, it's everything new every day. It's, it's, you have a, a bunch of ephemeral, ephemeral experience, you know? It's not, not real at some point. You don't make real friends. You don't make you don't actually know people, you don't actually know the places you're at. You're just, it's a very hedonistic thing, you know, you're just doing whatever you feel, whatever you like, whatever. And I didn't feel like I was accomplishing anything anymore by traveling. I felt this urge to like go back and I need to build something that was real, you know, my career, my life, my friendships, my relationships. And so I just, like I got, I got back. Like I felt like I thought that life were was only about traveling. And when I realized that I was tired of traveling, I, I returned and I started to work and, and to play. And I was in twenty, yeah, uh, mid twenty fourteen, I guess, early twenty fourteen. So you got back, I, you, you were like, I'm going to take this poker thing serious. I'm going to yeah, become yeah. one of the best players that has ever played the game. <laughs> no, I, I, no. I, don't, I don't have this kind of... I think like very high objectives are mostly bad, a bad thing to do, you know, very ambitious. Because you probably won't make them. And that's going to frustrate you. And that's gonna make you feel bad. So like, I think you have to set like small objectives and then you start growing the objectives like one by one. Uh, I think that's that's why I've, I've never in my whole life thought that I would be able to like get number one in pocket price. Never even, never have thought it was uh, would be possible or something or, you know, just happened, just, just wasn't my goal ever you take it one <laughs> step at a time basically yeah it's just you play an l400 what you're gonna do oh this looks like an l600 is soft so i'm gonna play an l600 you're playing l600 you're doing okay well now an l1k seems beatable and then you just go with, with this process and like you you playing an L fifty k or something or whatever and you got there just like I think the process is to always play the next game and eventually you just reach the biggest stakes. I I, I think what that mindset helps you do and I think some people they get a bit frustrated because for example it took you eight years to get to where you are right now and many players that we had on the podcast usually ranging between five to eight years. Whereas if you're playing 50 and 0, you want to become the best and that's all you focus on, uh, right? You want to play high stakes. 
that's going to take you quite a while. And I think many players then get frustrated where they are at that moment. And then you kind of lose enjoyment of the process. And that will basically prevent you from ever reaching that higher goal. Whereas if you just focus on small wins, what you're saying, right? Next objective, next objective. You stay in the present moment. You're really liking what you're doing, right? You're making process. And the satisfaction of reaching your objective is sort of around the corner, right? It's attainable. And then you reach it. And every time you reach an objective, I guess you also gain confidence in yourself. Like, hey, I'm a guy who reaches these objectives. And every time you put a new objective until you become poker player of the year 2021, <laughs> but that was not your goal starting out. Then what was, when you came back, you're like, okay, I'm going to take this poker stuff serious. What was an objective that you set? Do you still remember? Well, yeah, I think I've never actually, because even when you're, when you're young, you, you don't have, I don't know, clear objectives, but I think achieving financial um, stability is something that I've always aimed for. I'm, I'm a guy who like, I want to be old and, and can be retired and do the stuff I want without needing to work. So like, like I work to have like a good future when I'm very old because you don't know, you know, like I don't want to be like a broke dad, old guy, you know, <laughs> I worry about that a lot. So achieving financial stability and success was probably one of the main you know, goals I've ever had. Okay, and in order to reach to in order to reach that, right? That's kind of the long-term goal you had to. I remember you mentioned you started playing the 200s on full tilt. You realized that okay, I can lose quite a lot of money. I guess you also realized that you were not good enough for that for those tournaments yet. What did so let's put you you were playing the hundreds, the next objective is play the two hundreds, right? What I just moved, I just process? sat down. I just uh, I went like I moved down. It was just very natural. It was just a bunch of bad tournaments I was playing. So I just moved down. Just I think in my I was playing ABI if 40 through 70 for almost three years. Uh, until 2017 or something. Okay, so, so ranging in this so ABI. So you saw that ABI and maybe increasing your volume and playing consistently as a way to achieve your long-term goal of financial success instead of jumping up in stakes. You didn't necessarily see jumping up in stakes as the way to go. No, no. I, th I think the only way to go is to grow your bankroll. Sometimes, many times, you need to move up in order to grow your bankroll more. Sometimes you need to move down in six to grow your bank for more. I think it's all about poker is the end game is amassing all the money, you know. It's not about beating the next stake. Interesting. You know, because I always I always have the mentality of okay, next stake, next stake, next stake, next stake. No, I saw I saw it more as a video game. Uh-huh. Because also like my motivation wasn't as you as like, okay, I didn't play necessarily the game for, for the financial incentives. It, it was, it was a coincidence. It was played by money and those were the rules. But if it wasn't by money, I would have probably 
I don't know if I still would have played it, but I wasn't necessarily focused on the financial incentive the game had. I just liked the game for the game. Uh, therefore, always my decisions were also different. For example, I didn't make, looking, looking back, if I had a more uh, financial-driven mindset, I would have probably focused on playing way more volume instead of trying to every time beat other players, go up in stakes one more, right? I, I thought that was very interesting, actually moving down and, for example, grinding more volume in the game that you're way ahead. You then associate it as, hey, this is the way I'm going to achieve my goal. Whereas in my head, when you said this, like, hmm, that makes, I, I understand it now, but that's not really the way my mind worked. I've, I've had this conversation with a bunch of people, and I think there's a very maybe a cultural difference. Um, I see the Brazilian players like, like if we fail, we don't have a second chance, basically, you know? We don't have like social security. Like if you win, if you earn like, like a, as a regular person here, you're just gonna have a shitty life. So I think, it's different for us in Brazil or in other like poorer countries because like you, you won't have a second chance basically, you know, it's a, I think that because a lot of the players, you know, I know from Brazil that are very successful, they share kind of the same mentality as, as mine, you know, it's like you have to be careful with your money and shit. Whereas people from Europe or the US, I mean, I feel that you have greatest, greater social security. Like you have more, if you, if, you, if you work in a cafeteria or whatever, you, you're gonna have a decent life where you live, you know? And if you have a degree, like your starting job is gonna be okay. You're gonna be doing basically the same things you do as you're like richer. So I feel like Europeans, are more like willing to take risk in tougher games in order to just beat tougher games because it's cooler or it's more satisfying than, than the other people. That's why I think like Brazil is probably the, the, where most people play poker online in the world nowadays excluding the US, but they have their own environment. But we don't have like Brazilian players playing the highest, highest, highest stakes of stuff, you know? Because I think Brazilian players they don't take shots as much in order to reach the nosebleed levels of stuff, you know? Like we don't have a Michael Adam. We don't have, you know, a guy who's just ramping up in the highest toughest games in the world like multiple bullets and stuff because you know when you look at the top 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 i mean you you'll have a bunch of good players but you have a bunch of players who risked a lot to get there you know mm -hmm. because of the, because it's the we only hear about the success stories we don't hear about the, the failure stories but if a guy tries to get to go to get to the top you'll never hear of his story so I think that's that's a different mentality of like mine and other Brazilian players regarding to the rest no, of the world. That makes 
that makes a lot of sense, right? It's like human needs. Usually certainty is number one. And if let's say, for example, for me, I was born in the Netherlands. Yeah, basically a decent quality of life standard is sort of guaranteed because I have a Dutch passport. Uh, even if I screw up my whole life, I can still, because I'm a Dutch citizen, I knock on the Dutch government door. I move to the Netherlands and say, hey, I have nothing. They give me a house. They give me this. They give me that. Great. Whereas I, I lived in Brazil for four years. Yeah. And in Brazil, like you said, you don't have a safety net. If you screw up, you're on your own. Uh, you can end up in the street. If you're, if you're from the Netherlands, you cannot end up in your sh on the street. So there's a certain level of certainty that you have. And because that's satisfied, we can play poker more for, for example, a validation perspective. We like the fame or uh, we like the challenge because there's more room for that. So yeah, I definitely think that is a, that is a very big, uh, very big difference. So you then wanted to, uh, you said the end game, acquire the most amount of chips or money. Um, what yeah, were- In my view, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so then you, uh, when I set a goal, I'm like, okay, what do I have to do on a daily basis in order to get there? Could you maybe walk us through a day-to-day -day or a week-to-week? -week? How were you trying to, achieve that goal when you were grinding through the, the 40 to 70 dollar abi how mm -hmm. did a week in the life of pregar trying to make it look like uh i've always played um a decent amount of poker like i definitely wasn't the guy who like played insane volume and I think I've, I've, I implemented a bit of what I've learned in swimming, in, in training in general. It's like, uh, I see people say that they study five hours a day or four hours a day. I don't think that's um, very effective because you have so many areas to study. And one of the things that I heard you, you talking about that you had a very difficult time uh, of a different level between your study level and your play level, right? Like you have mm -hmm. a, a difficult time uh, using strategies. I don't know what the word you used. Use the yeah, word, so you have uh, like off, off game knowledge, in game knowledge. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I usually studied like simple spots a lot of the time in MTTs, you need to be sharp about calling ranges, choking ranges. So this kind of stuff who is very, uh, you need intense work, I guess, to do. I, I would just do it like, for example, I would shove or call a shove in a final table and I was in doubt. So that, that's easy to solve. And sometimes I would solve it immediately after the hand happened. Like to just know that I did right or, or, or didn't do right. Uh, that I would do constantly, but like learning a new skill, like I think it takes time. I don't think you can learn a bunch of things without applying them. So like, oh, you, you, cool, you studied, you studied five hours of turn barrels or something. So like when you go to play, it's always going to be different. And if you don't apply it, you're just going to forget it. So like. I think I think I was I usually studied like theory twice a week or something 
And, and I think I was very good at understanding my weaknesses and what I, I had to study and then just studying a lot. So like, for example, I think my, stronger, my, my strongest position today is the big blind because I always felt it was the hardest one. So I needed to just nail that. Uh, yeah, it took, me, it took me years of doing this study, like two, three hours, one day applying the next four days, studying two, three hours, four hours a day, applying the next four or five days. And then obviously uh, checking on the data I had about myself, if I was doing as I was supposed to. So very simple, methodic kind of way to approach the game. I don't very think you consistent. need to. Yeah, consistent. Just like in sports, you do that. You don't learn a lot of new things. It's mainly about like knowing your, your flaws. Like, oh, I need to change this and that. And you need to work a lot in order to improve like when you're training in sports in swimming or in running or anything you know you cannot go to the television to the notebook and see like how does the arm in the swimming you need to be a little bit down so like you don't spend like five hours doing that you just but you know what it's supposed to be and you have to like practice a lot in order to to achieve real change i guess or improvement and also, I guess with the swimming experience, you learned that success doesn't happen overnight, right? So I guess maybe you were also a bit more patient in poker. You knew it was a, a long-term game. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I spoke to some some guys like who are playing very high stakes poker and uh, very high stakes tournament poker players. And a lot of them were just like, so in a hurry, you know, uh, next year I need to be playing the 100Ks. And I'm like, that doesn't happen like that. You know, you're not going to be playing 100Ks next year, probably. It's just, what do you need to, in order to play 100Ks? Like, first of all, you need $10 million or something. And after, you know, it's not like that. You're not going to be playing 100Ks. It's like people are just trying to, like, no, next year I'm going to be playing, I'm playing NBI 100. I want to play the one case. It's probably, slow down, man. Just like, you have a whole life out of you. Just probably not going to work. So I think I've, I've always been pretty, like, honest, like, to myself, not being very uh, eluded about you know the success in the short term that it just like took me if you if you see my like my graph in the which just very not happened like my shark scope was just before the pandemic it was just not very um this was not a roller coaster <laughs> steady eddie so this it's interesting point that you brought up. I think it's very important if if you notice that in yourself, right? That you say, Oh, I, I need to play this within a year. You really have to stop down and be like, okay, 
why is this so important to me? And usually it's, right, we try to get somewhere because we want to feel a certain way, right? We want to obtain something and that makes us feel a certain way, right? Or that it's a certain validation. And usually when you start chasing that, what happens is it's very hard to be happy with what you got right now in the present moment, in the process. And in the end, the current moment, the process is the only thing that can actually make you get there. And then every time, let's say, for example, you have that goal and you go in a downswing in three months, you'll be very frustrated because that downswing is in the way of you reaching that, reaching that goal within the end of the year. And therefore, you will only start being more frustrated. You will play even worse, making the chances of you getting there actually only slimmer. So I think actually, either consciously or unconsciously, that mindset really helped you get there, right? And usually, the, 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 the sort of solution to that is, okay, what is the feeling that I'm after when I'm going to reach those hundreds case? And how can I experience that feeling right now in the present moment? And as soon as you already can try to experience that more on a day-to-day basis, you feel the need less in order to get there, to rush there. And as a result, you actually get there faster because you're not going to walk around <laughs> yeah. frustrated that you're not there yet, right? Because you're, if, if you're just already happy with your life, uh, you will see, you know, we're talking a bit, uh, we're going a bit, maybe a bit spiritual for some listeners here, but you know, then you, you feel good. And I believe a lot in if you feel good, if you're positive, you attract a lot of the same. And if you're every time negative, you will attract more negative shit from getting to you, right? right? Because you're frustrated, you're seeing all the negative things that happen and only more negative things will happen, right? That's kind of the, the glasses that you have on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, I often, you, you also mentioned that uh, in the question that we gave you, you choose that you're a team player. Did, I assume you didn't reach it alone. I assume sometimes you talk to other players. At which, do you remember certain players that really helped you in your career and trying to move up the stakes or trying to reach your end goal to amass all the chips? Were there certain players that had a big impact in your career? Um, when I started playing uh, live, I was mostly by myself or in forums and or some videos. Uh, but I always talk strategy with other people, right? And that's just, we are social beings, yeah, right? And um, But like, I've never been part of a, of a stable or a stake, I didn't, I've never had a staking uh, contract or anything. So, but like, like four bet, you know, the team, the four bet team in Brazil. No. Wow. There's a, like a, probably the largest MTT stable of the world is in Brazil. Like I was friends with a bunch of these guys and, you know, you just talk strategy of people and suddenly some very, I call them like a, corridor talks sometimes you just just click something and then you just go and uh go search for it you know many times you're just like spending hours and hours trying to crack something and the thing that helps you crack it just someone says something to you and just changes your perspective so i think i, I lived in a house 
a house with poker players for six years. I haven't had any deals with them or anything, but I talked a lot strategy and they, all of them, they worked for poker teams. So we were not actually allowed to study together, but we would talk strategy in general. You know, I couldn't watch uh, a video they made or a lesson or watch some PDFs or anything. But there was a lot of like conversations. It was like, for example, um, oh, yesterday I, I discovered that queen high boards are overfolded to check raise. Someone tells you that. And you're like, oh, cool. And then you go, oh, it's actually overfolded. And then you just print money on that for a ton of years, you know, still overfolded till today. And uh, so this kind of stuff, I think it was very, very helpful. This is like something, someone says something or we talk strategy and just go, let me look into that. And then I have a bunch of players, like I could say Victor, uh, uh, other players, I, other people I lived with helped me a lot develop. Uh, Andre, you probably don't know any of them. And uh, yeah, and then today I have all like guys from Night Tales who we, we generate content together, study together and, and, and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, I had, I had some coaches actually, just not many. I had coaches with a couple of friends, Andre and, and Seiji, who is actually like playing high stakes entities right now. Back in the day, uh, Felipe Boyanovsky, you know, mm -hmm. Lipi mm -hmm. He He coached me, have like one of the, best you request as ever with him so that really probably some some coaches i had with him were like game changers for me and in, in the way i approached theory i guess could you maybe give give an example of something that suddenly clicked without giving you know you, you don't have to give away everything away of course but I think one of the toughest things about poker or hold'em is to realize that it's a multi-trick game, and that has very important, very important mathematical consequences on batting frequencies and stuff. And he taught me with an example about, um, for example, if you face a balanced, a balanced uh, turn, if the guy's, if the guy's supposed to be balanced on the river, but he's, he only has that range on the turn, then you cannot pay, you, you cannot, you cannot continue with any bluff catchers because you're only increasing the pot in order to make a break-even decision on the river. So if the guy is under bluffing the turn, you just cannot continue. And that's why you need to be more aggressive in a turn. And that's why you need to be have more bluffs on the flop on the turn to get to the river 
in order to incentivize the players you're playing against to pay you off sometimes because otherwise they're not incentivized to continue. And so like this was the most important concept like ever for me, I guess, in, in terms of theory. And that changed a lot of my, my, my perspective. Sometimes Maybe in just... terms of applying that yourself, making sure you carry enough bluffs to the river or you would see spots where, hey, this is a classic spot with the way people construct their ranges that they will not continue enough bluffs. And therefore, I should now already fall because their river pairing frequency is just going to be way too high because they don't have enough bluffs, uh, usually like more a natural like bluffs on the turn. Yeah, more like that because uh, especially five years ago, people were much less aggro than they are today. So that was, man, just a bunch of, everyone was needy. And the guys who were considered blues back then, today, they would be just normal or, you know. Yeah, they're nitty. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the loose guys of 2015 are the needs of today, definitely. Yeah, I considered my <laughs> game a couple of years, like four years ago, three years, I was considered, you know, a bit more aggressive. But now, like these new kids, these new kids on the street, Jesus, they, they're these taking you to another level. Street. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we to another game. It's like, okay, bets everywhere, faults nowhere. Okay, so this is how the game is played nowadays. Yeah, because like, for example, back when I started using Pyro, you would, you know, there's a king high board, you have king 10. And you face a three barrel, and the guy is on the hijack. And Pyro would just like, Okay, I'm gonna call. And just like, yeah. So if you just call down people every time and be like, these guys always have it. It's impossible. Blah, 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 blah. Then when you look a little bit into it, if you change the frequencies on the turn, if they under bluff by 10% and everything's at fault, and you just see the numbers and people are under bluffing, like 95% of people were under, under bluffing the turn five years ago. Today, no. Today, some people might be even over bluffing a lot, many people. But back then was very important and knowing why that mattered was really important for me. It's just not trying to copy the solver's uh, strategy, it's understanding why that happens. So that was one thing that really stick into my mind till today. Yeah, so going from I call because the solver calls King 10 and we're not supposed to fold top pairs, it's like, wait a second. Why, in theory, don't we fold top pairs? Why, in theory, do we call down this king? Because then I, what, what you're describing is there is a, a little feeling in, in your belly every time you call down with king 10 because the solver says so. That's like, this doesn't feel right. And then I guess it was his explanation that you were like, ah, that was what my intuition was telling me all this time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and understanding why you should be more aggressive yourself as well, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, but especially in, indeed, usually when you learn theory, and especially I like to especially study theory in terms of what the aggressor, what the guy with the initiatives have to do, because if you know that, then you kind of already are studying the opposite way of the three as well, right? You're studying how you should approach that spot, and then you usually find out, hey, this is probably not happening. So let me see what the correct exploit is. Yeah, I yeah, think in general. Usually aggressor spots, they're more approach, or at least I personally approach them more 
GTO, as we call them, whereas reactive spots where you're reacting to people's strategies, there's more room for trying to see, hey, I know how this spot is supposed to be played. There could be an unbalance here. Yeah, my thoughts on theory is just you need to learn theory in order to know what your opponents are doing wrong or right. I think this is the main goal of learning poker theory. It's not about selecting the right suit of the ace king, you know, like fuck that, in my opinion. It's just about like trying to understand what people should be doing. Because if you don't, you don't have you don't have a starting point. You don't know, like, oh, I do this exploit here because uh, I I I'm good. No, if you don't know what the the, the theory says, you're just just doing whatever, you know? So the GTO is a baseline where you need to have a good feel about it, but you will never be able to copy. And many times you will, you won't be the best decision. But if you don't know, you don't have a solid theory background, you won't be able to exploit people. That's my view. Mm -hmm. The ultimate goal of my poker is exploiting people, I guess. But if you don't know the baseline, You'll never know if you're doing it right or if you're doing it wrong. That's uh, I I I complete I 100% agree with you. Be before the pot uh, started, I asked you, you know, what you want to talk about, and you mentioned like, yeah, we could talk a little bit about how I perceive the game. Well, this is one of the examples. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the question is, how do you perceive the game? It's quite broad. Yes. Still think I'm gonna go with it. So maybe maybe we can rephrase it more in a question like, okay, I'm a mid-stakes MTT player right now, or I'm a low-stakes MTT player. How do you perceive the game that's different than a lower mid-stakes player that perceives the game that allows you to play higher and have a higher win rate than a low mid-stakes MTT player? You gave already an example that you knew more theory, like carrying more bluffs uh, on the turn towards the river, so you're incentivized your uh, the other player to call you right there was one example that you got from coaching uh and uh, studying theory so you know how to exploit your population that's uh, i guess a big part of your philosophy as well which other common mis mistakes you see low to mid six players in mtts make that prevents them from moving up um i think tournament poker has more nuances than like cash games um without i think like tournament strategy it's pretty much well um this uh, developed nowadays like you can find a lot of good content pretty much anywhere if you just search it um, like tables you can you can buy sims, you can buy ICM simulations. So the technical part, I think it's pretty much, there's a lot of content, but I see people like making a lot of mistakes that don't have to do with um, how you play. Just play. I think people, the tournament has, has also this, this characteristic of uh there there are differences between early ragging or late ragging or middle ragging there's a lot of things that people don't actually think about all the time that's important 
like when to register. But I think most of the time people are playing like on bad sites. Like if, if I would be playing mid-stakes right now, uh, I see a lot of people who don't play Winamax, who don't play like Bulldog, who don't play a bunch of poker sites that has have a lot of value to mid-stakes players. Uh, I think people just don't go after this kind of stuff, looking for the right game to play. But a lot of, a lot of people playing 12 tables on poker stars and GG, like peak time, 3 p.m. here. And I'd be like, I don't think that's the way to go, you know? Like some I, see, I see some games like $50 tournaments on poker stars that are kind of are quite tough. They're not very like soft. You know, there's a high rate spot. Like I would say study a lot of ICM stuff. Look for good games and don't play higher stakes like than you should. I think shot taking recklessly is mainly probably the biggest issue of people. Like, oh, look, look at this 1K main event of Scoop here. If you're playing ABI 100, I mean, you should not be playing. I mean, you should sell a lot of your action. It's just people just don't do that. People just try shot taking all the time and they just stay in the same buying level because of shot taking. And um, yeah, I think that's it. I have very good, very good advice, and I couldn't agree more people put so much time into trying to improve their technical knowledge or trying to get better in one specific spot where yeah like you said just switching sites will probably increase their win rate the biggest right now yeah. or people love to put in so much time in very small nuances in a spot where it's like hey if you invest those three hours in learning how to exploit the recreational better that probably has a higher return of investment of those three hours right yeah, and yeah. that also actually what you said about the shot taking comes back to your first example that you gave about seeing your bankroll. So taking ICM considerations, people maybe look like, do I beat this 1K event in scoop right now? If that's the question that they ask themselves and the answer is yes, they jump in. But there's so much other things to take in consideration yeah. that you're clearly taking in consideration that they probably don't. Sometimes it doesn't matter if you beat the game or not, you know? No, I I actually remember a student. He he would he would grind. I think on average two hundred nl, but he he had the bankroll to play higher. And I remember once he he said, "Oh, I won twenty five k yesterday." I'm like, "Okay, you don't win twenty five k on two hundred nl," but he played some five k. And and I was like, because he asked him, himself the question, "Do I beat this game?" And the question was yes. But obviously, after that session, he couldn't go back to his normal grind anymore. He couldn't take it serious. So I said, what was your long-term objective? That was that you wanted to consistently get better in poker. And now you just jump into a game because you thought you were plus EV. But now he had trouble picking up his normal grind again for the next couple of months, basically. So that was a good example of he asked himself the wrong question or he jumped into the game with the wrong criteria and not having the bigger picture in mind. And I think a lot of players do this wrong, registering a 1K scoop from what I hear from you. Yeah, just... There's a bunch of tournaments that are very good, you know, but you, for example, the Triton, the, the, the high roller bowl, it's a 250K tournament. It's a very good tournament. 
but there are a lot of recreationals. That doesn't mean I'm gonna play it because it's fucking 250k. <laughs> Just sometimes you have to take care of your bankroll, man, and not like chase. I, I remember when I when I was playing ABI one two hundred. I looked at the. Do, do you know the schedule of the poker sites, like the tournaments? Not yeah, really. there's a five five hundred and thirty dollars progressive, like the bounty, you uh -huh. know, poker starts like daily. Mm -hmm. So when it started and I was playing ABI uh 100, 150, I would just open it. I would look it and I was like, oh, this is the softest tournament ever. And I'll be like, I can't play because I need to go like for three bullets, and that was probably what my whole session was gonna cost or something. So I, I remember I grinded for a long period of the time before I started taking shots at it until I was playing it regularly, you know. I think that's uh, have patience, I guess, you know, uh, respecting what you can and what you cannot play. Yeah, seeing the reality as is and playing within the rules of the current reality. And I think that's valid even for people who play it in stables you know i mean you you throw the the variance to the people who were staking you but the makeup is yours you know yeah so if you yeah people are like ah but i play staked so it doesn't count <laughs> but it's yeah so counts. i can shot even if you play staked yeah i can shot take forever and i can because like for the team it's very interesting to have a bunch of players playing the the best tournaments right but singly, like individually, for each one of them, it might not be good, you know, because people are getting into makeups. And I'll, like, for example, a poker team has 100 people playing 100 ABI. Obviously, they want 100 people playing the 1K scoop main, you know. Like, for the team, is good, but for the individual players, it's not good. So you must be able to realize that this is. Like too expensive for me. Can I sell this action? Can I swap this action with someone? Can I, you know, because when you see there's every Sunday there, you have a spot to shot take a very good tournament. And if that's inside your buying strategy, it will cost you in the long term, like in one, two, three years, because it's hard. It's hard winning these tournaments. Like I've been playing the two one Ks max bullets for the past three years and I finally table like the one case in the in Sunday in the in GG and I like I haven't made a final table for something you know it's just it can happen it probably will happen sometime sometimes you're gonna you're gonna be uh, like Speranza Tenkanza and win the 10k scoop main twice <laughs> yeah but you but, have to, and, then, and then it's important to realize that there was quite a lot of a lot of luck involved but the ego usually doesn't really like to destroy the 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 truth with reality basically right if you do very well we like to think now yes the true skill coming out now right just like you when you started playing tournaments you big 70k it's like this is fair right and if, if we lose, it's variance. But if we win, it's perfectly fair, right? It's yeah, yeah, exactly. It. 
we we deserved it. Actually, another funny point or funny point, another interesting point that you touched on in terms of the game selection. Uh, I think also again it comes back to what we talked about earlier. People take more pride in like, yeah, but I play stars and GG. It's like okay, yeah. then so they're like, ah, but you're not doing so well. Yeah, but I play stars and GG. Those are tougher games, and they and then you look at them like. Why it does not makes you smarter? <laughs> exactly, but, but it's that, see, and and I the bomb hunters like, want oh, you I to grind, believe that that's stupid. I grind an L five hundred on poker stars. I was like, why the hell would five hundred and L five hundred poker stars? Yeah, exactly. If, if you're interested <laughs> in making money, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can be a great player, but you should use that skill in games that are very soft in order to make even even more money. Sure, grinding five and they'll zoom again if you're a European that just does it purely for the challenge. And if that's really what's important to you, then fine. But don't come crying after a year like, oh, I only made so much money. And they're like, yeah, you only played five and they'll zoom. If making the most amount of money was your goal, you should have usually not played that game, right? But the, the guys who game select, they don't say anything because they don't want other people to join their games, right? So they create, I would almost say that they're there every time re yeah, yeah, play on stars, play on GG. Yeah, yeah, they stay there. Yeah, no, bomb hunting is bad. And then the bomb hunters are raking. It's bad the for the games. Yeah, yeah, they, they keep on reconfirming that belief. <laughs> so, so I'm sure there's people listening. Uh, if you feel some resistance when I say this, that means that, you know, you probably have to reconsider why you're playing tougher games. Right, you don't have anything to prove. You don't have to prove that because you beat a tougher game that you're smarter or something. Yeah, that's just just a, just them, like, in my opinion. Just like it's a good, but, uh, it's a good time to involve uh, mindset like coach you, and a car if you, if you want to prove you're very good, just like open the GTO trainer and try not to make any mistakes against the bot. Like uh, that, that's not very motivating, play? man. The, the, the GTO <laughs> bot. Fucking destroys me. I I I, I go to my living room like, wow, am I really that bad in poker? Really? After all these years? Yeah, it's tough. It's a it, fucking it, I, calling station as well, right? You know, you try to bluff him, and he just calls all the time. It's just no, it's but the, the, the best thing is when you make him bluff, and it says uh huh, and then he folds a better hand. I'm like, ha! But you fold a better hand, you idiot. <laughs> and then he's telling me that they make a mistake but I make a perfect play he pulls a good hand I'm like yeah you see that's exactly what I was trying to do and now you're telling me that I was wrong not buying it <laughs> yeah. Adam okay, we, we, we talked a little bit again the, the same concept came back uh, what do you think why, why do you think people get so much satisfaction out of uh, beating tougher games and why do they then cannot say like oh i will go play softer games instead ego simple as the ego likes to say i beat the toughest games i'm smart i'm good look at me and the ego yeah can create a validation around the harder the games the better the harder i hate the work and when you see the people taking the easy route you can like we said earlier sit on your moral high horse and go you're making lots of money over there but you're bum hunting you're playing soft games I'm playing the real games. I'm, I'm a real grinder here. I'm grinding in the streets every day, low win rate, but I'm playing the best guys. There's an element of, yeah, I think I'm smart by doing that. And the ego gets a validation around that. So yeah, I think it's just being sensible if you're one of the players listening to this, like you said, if, if like Reddit said, if you feel resistance or you're triggered, it's probably, you might have ended up in this scenario 
like inadvertently, like some players, they'll just play one site. I know I did for most of my career, I played one site and you end up progressing, progressing, progressing. You end up in a player pool that's really tough and you don't look around. You don't zoom out and go, wait a second, maybe this is not the best use of my time. And you're very one dimensional. And what you'll find with a lot of high stakes guys and guys who have had long careers, they've been more adaptable. They've been more flexible. They've spent time looking around for better opportunities. So if you are one of those guys playing a really tough player pool, one, assess your ego and go, right, am I doing it for the right reasons? But also spend some time looking around. Is there better opportunities? Like Renner said, it's fine if you're a guy who loves a challenge. You wake up in the morning, like, let's get the hardest table I can get in the world. Let's play some good guys. You're the lightest love of the world. Then fair enough. Great. That's that's awesome. But if that's not the case, and you're trying to make money and a lot of money in your career, then yeah, maybe zooming out, dropping the ego and looking for better opportunities. At least part of your time, part of your grinding hours would be beneficial. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> All right. So I want to bring the conversation to some character traits that have been helpful for you. So I know you talked about having almost like strong values from your parents, talking about basically they took you to school, took you training, created a very good yeah, kind of value system for you. And you've obviously had a lot of uh, experiences. You had uh, your swimming career. You did uh, engineering at university. You did play computer games. So yeah, I want to have a little conversation around some of the character traits that you've developed either before poker or through poker that have allowed you to have a long and successful career? Being good with a computer is very important in poker. I, um, like to use proper software and stuff. I think that's a, an underrated skill, I guess. Uh, like knowing how to navigate in solvers and stuff is very like helpful. Understanding the requirements for using the software as well. I think that was up to one, two years ago was, uh, I think like people couldn't use properly the solvers because they don't know the technical aspects of building a computer and, and stuff. I think that's very helpful. I think at this point, I pretty much, I, I feel like I've talked about like most of my convictions, I guess. I don't know if I, trying to think of others <laughs> no they're good yeah and i remember from when you're talking about sports talking about learning skills and when you're talking about studying in particular like you approach that like kind of like uh, athlete training where you learn a skill then you'll apply that that skill for a period of time that i think that's a really good character trait where yeah this kind of learning application model where rather than just condense like loads of knowledge getting in uh, taken in like i said a lot of sports we just we, we fine tune skills, we fine tune and attributes uh, through practice. So that's like a, a character trait that you've definitely picked up. I think uh, resilience and the ability to change perspective are good character traits of yours. You talked about like taking breaks, which I think it's a, it's an overrated skill and the underrated skill, sorry. A lot of players don't know how to take breaks and reset their perspective in order to keep going. And yeah, I think you've yeah, shared a lot of your, your kind of resilience and your ability to uh, keep going when things have gone badly. Actually, one thing that I wanted to take a background to, I remember wrote a note, we're talking about downswings and Rene talked about with the downswing, he looks for opportunities. So how can I take this downswing better than other people? You never expanded on how you deal with downswings. So when you're, when you're downswing a challenging part of your career, how do you deal with downswing? Rather than taking breaks, I know taking breaks is one of them. What are some of the things that you do to approach a downswing from a positive perspective? Yeah, like, um... I feel one of one of the aspects, one of the things that I probably do well, and I've, I've done it uh, throughout my career. I I tried 
not to bullshit myself like oh i'm earning a lot of money right now just that doesn't mean i'm going to keep earning and if i'm doing that like doesn't mean i'm going to keep losing so i feel like the process of how you approach a game it should be fairly the same when you're winning or when you're losing it doesn't it doesn't matter like if i'm losing a lot and i the set of technical data that i feel that i i judge that are most important i'm doing bad it doesn't make me very happy you know if i'm like running like above my my yellow line and uh, running very hard and and my EV is, is should be low and it's high. If I'm losing a lot in the higher buy-ins and losing in the smaller buy-ins, I would be, you know, so I, I don't try to like go inside this fantasy where in an upswing I'm 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 losing a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm winning a lot and that's all that matters. That doesn't get me happy. And the opposite is it, it holds true when I'm on a downswing as well. So like, I think um, you gotta have something to hold on when, you, when you're on a downswing. You, ha you have to, you need to have a set of things that you are doing that you consider that are the most important things. You know, so like, if you have a, if, if you're on a downswing, you're studying X amount of time, you're doing okay. If your EV is okay, then you're doing great. You need to have a set of things that are tangible and that are in arm's length that you can make true when you're a downswing in order to be successful, in order to be happy when you're, when you're running bad, otherwise, Poker will always feel like you have no control and you have like no power or to like no decision in what's gonna happen in the future. If you don't have this set of targets that are reachable in the short or midterm. So I think that's a must have skills like in order to survive. And that doesn't apply to poker as well. Like it applies to basically everything. I think um, there was, you know, this this girl. Um, I, I don't remember her name. She wrote a book on poker. I listened to this podcast. Is a Freakonomics. Uh, she was yeah, a guest yeah, on the yeah, podcast, and she says that she feels like academical success is more variance than poker success, and I think that's uh, curious. Because you need to have the same set of traits, you know, that you need in poker in order to have success in in life. Because life is also random, and it feels like you don't have any any control about what's happening, you know. So you need to have either on in your relationships or if you're opening a business. For me, like opening a business is one of the riskiest things ever you don't know what's going to happen you don't know like you see the pandemic like even if you're the best in the world if you open the restaurant three years ago you'd be dead so like there's nothing you can do so you need to have some like some small stuff that you 
in order to, to feel good, like you have to have the set of things that you do that makes you feel good. Otherwise, everything's gonna be bad in your life. It's literally, there's no part of your life that you can have full control that you don't need to set these small targets around it in order to success. This podcast is brought to you by Poker Ambition, where me and Adam have created our coaching program, The Mechanics of Poker. After having reached high stakes poker ourselves, we tested out this philosophy on our CFP students, which saw them rise through the ranks and double their win rate. We then took the best knowledge of that CFP program and turned it into the mechanics of poker so you can have that high-quality content without the long-term commitment and often hefty price that comes with a CFP program. Now, I will be teaching you the technical side of how poker really works, how to think about the game and how to consistently get better. And Adam focuses on the mindset and performance skills you need to know in order to convert all that technical poker knowledge into more consistent profits at the table. Now, this program is high level. It's made for professional poker players who have the ambition to break free from mid stakes and move up to high stakes poker. So if you're ambitious about your poker goals, go over to pokerambition.com for more information. And there you can also find a free one hour demo of everything that is inside the program. If you have any further questions, don't hesitate to reach out. But without further ado, let's get back to more goodness in this episode. Yeah, I think that's a really important lesson that poker teaches you. And like you said, it's, I like what you said at the start, don't bullshit myself and realizing like results don't reflect how you're actually performing. And if you let yourself get too high when things are going well, or let yourself go, get too low when things are going badly, you're getting dragged around. And we all know poker and life is going to be this emotional roller coaster if we're linking our internal state to our results. So like you said, we've got to create almost like a foundation of things that we do control in an uncontrollable world. How do, how do you show up on a day-to-day basis? What's the criteria of a winning day for you that you control? Even if you're losing day after day after day, but if you're showing up in a certain way that's meaningful for you, that can still be winning over the long term. Yeah, like you said, I think holding on to something, almost like an anchor that we hold on to during tough times and also during good times. I like, I like the way you phrased it during a good time as well. Almost like dropping that expectation, dropping that ego, realizing, okay, I'm having a great run right now probably ran good. It's like a two carried away. I think it's equally important as the inverse skill when you're working with downswings and tough times. But yeah, I think it's something to uh, it's like a life lesson as well. Like you said, everything we do has a lot of unpredictability around it and getting more involved in the process and linking your internal happiness and state to the things that you're doing and the process of getting there rather than the results that come from it is, is way more important long-term. And I think as a poker player, it's a skill you've got to learn, like often the hard way. I know, Rene, you learned the hard way. I learned the hard way. Yeah. We get so attached to results because results are the metric that mean I'm good at this game. And if I'm good at this game, my life's good. So we struggle at first to create that separation between the process and the results becomes one merge. Once you get good at that process, you're like, ah, wait a second, me showing up in this way is all that really matters. The results will take care of themselves. If I can just weather the storms and get through it over long periods, I'll get to where I need to be eventually. Yeah, that reminds me when you were saying players who were wanting to play like 100K NL within a year, 
those are the type of guys that are just rushing, trying to get somewhere. They're trying to uh, create this external metric of validation. And as a result, they're losing track of the process. What's your process for getting there? How, how are you going to show up in a way that guarantees you can get there? You can't. So uh, they, they focus on the wrong metric. And yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to remind yourself to, to always create a foundation of things you're doing. I know when I work with players who are deep in a downswing and they're struggling, life is almost hopeless. I always get them to like double down on winning their days. If you can win your day, like morning, even just win your morning, win half your day, you create some momentum that I'm in control of these things and I can take action on these things that allow me to, uh, to feel like a winner. And very often it comes down to an internal state. There's no uh, objective me metric. There's no one guy sitting on a big, big mountain somewhere going, that's <laughs> the winning day, the winner, he's the loser. It's all subjective. Some players, some people are billionaires and probably feel like they're not winning life. Other people are scraping by, but they're happy with what's going on. So uh, we create the scorecard. So if we create the scorecard, we need to create our own winning day formula, uh, which is controllable variables, mainly controllable variables to uh, yeah, create that kind of solidity going forward. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right. All right, so a question I wanted to ask you is, if you could look back on your poker career, and yet reflect on one lesson that poker in particular has taught you, either the hard way or the easy way, what would that one lesson be? You, you say in, in, in poker or? A lesson that poker has taught you, taught you could be for a life lesson or it could be a poker lesson. Uh, a life lesson would be good if you've got one that comes to mind. I think <laughs> the most important concept in poker that you can extrapolate to your life is the concept which we were talking about before is the I think the EV component of things. I think we live in a world and our brain is made in this way where we are supposed to be results oriented because otherwise you wouldn't survive in the jungle or something. So like, for example, if someone ate the red berry and died, you wouldn't eat red berry. There's no way to prove that it wasn't gonna kill you. So you had you like back then you needed to be results oriented. Oh, if you go that way, there's a lion there, so you're gonna die. And I see that our society still today is mostly results oriented. You know, like all that matters are results. And if you don't have good results, then you're not gonna do, you're not gonna be respected, you're not gonna be, you're gonna feel good about yourself. So we live in a society that mirrors our primordial brain, which is completely results-oriented. So I think when you study poker and you discover that there's no fairness to anything, you know. So I think the concept of expected value might be the most important thing that poker teaches us because you, when you understand that but the, your whole world perspective changes because you see that you're not gonna adore the people who are doing awesome. You're not gonna like shit on people who are doing bad because many things are not in our control and that's okay, you know? Makes you a humble, humbler person. And I think a happier person mm. overall. And oh, I think yeah. that's the that's it about poker and why I think it's a beautiful, beautiful game. I think I think I think they should teach variance and EV on the high school or something. I think this our society would be much better 
like on average. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, we, we live in a culture that almost like promotes us to think very results oriented, whereas EV gets you to think in terms of probabilities and possibilities. And nothing's 100% ever in anything. And we need to think like with outcomes come, come certain ways, what was the probability of the opposite outcome? And like I said, we have a very confirmation bias society. We promote all the winners who are like, yes, well done. You did all that reckless stuff and got to the top. You ran really good, but we don't see it that way. We see that, ah, they're the role models. In reality, it's like there's a lot of factors going on. And yeah, I think once you learn to think in EV, you can't switch it off. And when other people don't think in terms of EV, you're almost like, ah, oh, you you can't even you can't even think of their their framing because they're so all or nothing with like, like say COVID strikes. And they're like, ah, I knew this was going to happen. I knew something was going to happen. You're like, did you really know all these factors were going to play out in this way? And now you've got the hindsight bias that you can look back. But um, yeah, I think it's really good to uh, train that skill set of expected value. There's actually a good book called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, former poker player. And she goes into this concept. I think poker players learn this, this skill on the fly with, with poker. But if you all want, want to go deeper into uh, how to think in terms of EV in life, she does a good job of extrapolating that concept to, to many life situations. Cool. All right, Renny, you've got any, any future, any point questions that you want to take? Um, most, first of all, great answers. Okay. Couldn't <laughs> agree more. Uh, actually we, we, I think it was, was it Clenty that also said the most important thing he, uh, that, that poker taught him was thinking in EV. I've heard this answer before. You, 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 Clenty, Clenty. Uh, Luke Johnson. No, I, yeah, I, I say sketch game player. He was also on, I think episode seven, eight, correct me if I'm wrong. But we asked him the same question. He also said thinking in EV. So it's, uh, I think also if people ask me that question, I would also probably come down to that recognizing variance and like understanding that, yeah, okay, this was quite unlucky to happen. Yeah, okay. And if people freak out about the weirdest shit, I'm like, yeah, it can happen, you know? The, there, was, there was room for a little bit of variance. I, th I thought it was funny, yeah. Especially when someone eats a, either eats a red berry and he dies, it's not like you're gonna be like, eh, probably variants. Let me try. You're not gonna try again. You're like, okay, red berry, don't eat. Very result oriented, but you're not gonna be like, ah, probably a five percent chance of happening. You just got unlucky. No, it's, it's just a stamp. Don't eat the red don't, berry. Don't eat the red berries. Did you? I don't know a chat before. Or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, also, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about going forward. Uh, you you became Poker Player of the Year 2021. You then had that great scoop. What are your... Uh, you don't like to think in long-term goals. So what's the next objective in your poker career? I mean, you're doing quite well in uh, amassing, uh, amassing all the chips, all the money. You're just going to continue amassing more? Or do you have some, some goals, some objectives that you're working towards? Yeah, I think I need to um, solidify myself in the live scene. Uh, I'll be traveling a lot in the future to play turn uh, live tournaments. And that is a separate challenge, I guess. It's a, it's a, a different lifestyle for me as well. So... I need to merge that with my current life and in order to succeed, I guess. I was a very good life player 10 years ago. 
I'm working on it right now because it's kind of a different game. Um, uh, when you say the, working on it, what, what, what do you mean? You're working on your life game. How does, how does uh, Pedro work on his life game? Yeah, there are some, uh, some content out there, right? Uh, tell stuff, trying to wrap my, round, my, my head around whether there's any validity in studying like behavior of people like while playing live poker. And uh, I've been progressing on that. Like I played two live events, like Prague and Monte Carlo. So I'm going to Barcelona, maybe Vegas, and then London and Prague again, I guess. So the end of the year. So it's, it's been, I've been progressing, but it feels, it's still different for me to play live than online. Uh, what, are some, what are some things that you're struggling with? Mostly the routine. I think it's way more exhausting to play live. Like you get there, it's a different time zone, takes you three, four days to settle in. You play like 12 hours, sleep bad, um, wake up and you have to play at noon again. And that's for 10 days and you get, you go back to the exhausted. I think that's my main struggle with live poker is the the quality of life that it's just it's a trade off you know it, it's much I think it's much healthier for me to stay in my house but in order to progress and meet other goals and to move up in stakes as well you need to go to live poker there's no there's nowhere else it's another achievement. I must pers pursue, I guess. You you said you were studying a little bit of uh, uh, of life tells to see if there's any merits or edge you can gain in like behavior at the tables. You've noticed uh, all the way in the beginning of your career, you said, oh, I learned about ranges and I went to the casino and I was like, oh, range, range. Is it now similar if you go to the life tables and you picked up on some things that you're looking for and you suddenly see it, you're like, oh, I see it. It's like, oh, wow. Cool. There are there are some things, but the 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 tough thing about live is getting feedback, you know, on it. Like, I don't know, you're gonna use a tell to to like take an action. How are you gonna get feedback on that action? Like, you're gonna try that, I don't know, ten times in one year or something. If six go right and four go wrong. Does it mean it works? Doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, but the, the, you were uh, referring to uh to 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 this tells course. I, I remember they they ran variants or at least they 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 studied a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to make sure that this big sample size. And I I watched a couple of things as well, and he was really talking about natural behavior. Oh, uh, you know, white uh, open posture, close posture. When do you feel the natural need to? to hide when do you feel relaxed and that said something about your hand i remember i didn't go much through it but i thought it was very interesting and if you just understand natural behavior it makes a lot of sense right it's it's actually just like studying theory you need to know kind of the baseline okay why why, why do we do certain things and from there you can gain information the only thing then 
if you're playing, right, you have a certain decision-making, how you go through hands. Have you noticed then when you play a life and suddenly your life tail comes in, you're like, wait, in my thought process, where does this tail come in, right? How, how do I value it compared to, you know, I have the best blockers in the world, but this guy gave this tail, where do I rank this? Yeah, the, I think this is the this is the most difficult thing about live playing for me is just uh, there are many environmental things that go that happen that they go into my thought process and many times they make me like take a bad decision. For example, us stuff that happen all the time. Like for example, I was playing against uh, Jean Vieira. NASA uh, in an early game of a 25k or something in Monte Carlo. I thought everyone in the table had the same stack, but he actually had 30,000 chips less. So I just, I far bet at Jax on the cutoff against him. And I looked at his stack and I far bet for like half his stack or something. I didn't know that he had less chips than me. So, like, and and he would be like, oh, did he not know that I did I I had not a search because I didn't ask. So he had to like take that in, into consideration as well. So there was all these environmental things that happen. Like um, sometimes you have to the guy like three bets to you and you have to check whether he how many blinds does he have. It's not showing up on the screen. It's not you don't know if how close to the bubble it is, how many chart stacks there are, or there are a lot of other things that you have to take into consideration. And sometimes something very crazy happens and you have to adjust. For example, you're thinking about blockers and the guy acts out of hand. And you'd be like, okay. That's now one. <laughs> 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 Like many things gonna happen, and I think that's uh, I'm the kind of guy who, 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 if I'm driving and I need to do a, how do you say a when you park, uh, park like when parking. Pay, yeah, when you do a parallel parking, if I keep missing, I get very uh, um, ashamed, and I I leave. Like many times when I play poker, I feel ashamed because I'm taking too long when a decision or something. And like the, all the eyes are on me and like, oh shit, I'm just gonna do anything. Ah. But all these kinds of, uh, you know, things that happen while we're playing live. And I feel like, uh, like I obviously I trust my whole game while playing, but I feel like there are people that are way more experienced than me at live poker, even though, they might have a, a like a poorer strategy than me, but they've been playing live poker for 10, 15 years. So obviously they have more experience than me. And obviously it takes less of a toll on them than it does on me on playing these yeah. events. I also think that sometimes I think online players, they kind of overrate their skill level compared to, for example, let's say I go now play live in Vegas, cash games, I'm sure that my theoretical knowledge of the game could be stronger than a regular there, for example. But he knows, he has a good feel of what's going on at a live table. He has a good feel of what people do. 
my reads on the population are from online. I don't know how much they will translate. Obviously, certain things are just like psychology. How does a human constructor range and stuff? But I would probably give the guy an advantage because he is, first of all, he's familiar. He feels very comfortable in this environment. So he will play his A game more often, right? It's what you said. I'm, I, I get a bit frustrated with myself because I threw in the wrong chip or I miscounted the pot, you know, <laughs> all things that have happened yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to me many times. Uh, uh, so yeah, but on the other side, the only way you can get better at this is by, by playing, by playing yeah. right? So do you then, I think it's always very important that before I play, I kind of say, okay, yeah, I'm going to try live. I will screw up and that's okay. Do you, do you consciously say something like that or something before you go play? So it doesn't yeah, frustrate yeah, sure. you as much. Like, yeah, I, I, obviously I, I need to do that more. Um, I have some entitlement because I was such a good life player that I feels bad that I kind of suck right now. <laughs> the that um, but yeah, it's, everything is like that. Like when you try something new, you're moving up mistakes. If you're not if you're not able to make make mistakes and forgive yourself, it's going to be very painful for everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think empathy is a very that. good skill to have as a poker player. I think sometimes people are way too hard on themselves and only beat themselves up for, yeah, for no reason. In the beginning, I think we talked about we are all humans, right? And yeah, what do you expect? You go play live poker. You you don't never play live poker. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, it's gonna I, happen. I think I think this is one of the things that I struggle the most. Like as a poker player, I I don't tolerate mistakes as much you know i think i'm much better right now than i was but it would it would like fuck my sleep um just thinking of over hands at night i think it's it can be a blessing and 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 not as well like obviously you need to remember when you made mistakes and correct them but not to the point that you're not sleeping over it so i think yeah empathy is something very great to have as a poker player as a human being like you're gonna make mistakes you have to take risks and if you don't forgive yourself afterwards then it's gonna be screwed i think a very important part in that is being very being realistic to what your current skill set is and you can beat yourself up over a mistake that you clearly should not have been making. But I think people beat themselves up over mistakes they think they shouldn't have been making, but compared to, it was actually quite expected, right? If you go play live and I make mistakes with chips, that's quite expected. But some people were like, no, I shouldn't be doing that. But you have no sample that shows that that's an actual skill that you have. So the problem becomes when you're beating yourself up over mistakes that, for example, if I make a mistake that is a normal mistake in my B game, I cannot beat myself up over that. It's a B game mistake, right? Okay, yeah, I didn't play my A game. Now, if I didn't do certain things that prevented me from playing my A game, right? If I was dumb and partied until last night, had way too much to drink, only had four hours of sleep and then went to play, I can I can probably reflect on that, like hmm, maybe next time I should prepare better. But then when the mistake actually happens, it's within the line of expectation given the way I prepared for my session, right? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Very thought out so, process. Uh, is there anything that you would like to share 
with the listeners before uh, before we are closing this off? Yeah, I think I covered pretty much all the things that I that I believe and that I think are good. But like, if I can, like, have some recommendations for everybody, uh, poker players, non-poker players, uh, go to a therapist. <laughs> I think uh, I've been going to like to a therapist uh, the past three, four years now, and there's no. He's not gonna like tell me, "Hey, now you're healthy, leave." Like, there's no. I don't know the word in English for when you get better in a hospital and they send you out home because you're healthy. What's the name for that? Is a they release you, I guess. Yeah. They, fi they fire you? Do, do they call it like that? No, no, no. no fired they, out actually, of the hospital? Yeah, they release you or something. There's no release in therapy. I mean, you always have something to work on. And I think that translates you to, to poker as well. Like, it should be great to have, like, someone. I know it can be expensive to hire, like, a mental coach or something. And that's important in many levels, but like, I think therapy helped me to like deal with other many issues of my life. And I think it's just made me feel happier and more caring towards myself and the others. Empathy is a skill that is one of the greatest skills in the world, I guess. It will make you more humble and then more forgiving and ultimately happier in the end. Um, other than that, for people who are poker players, just keep it up, follow the process and have fun. I think you need to have fun doing the stuff you do in your life. Otherwise, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. Not a very good one. I think the empathy part that you touched on, I think you can only be more empathetic towards yourself if you understand yourself. And I think therapy really helps you understand yourself at a better level. It was funny. Actually, I, 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 I wanted to say uh, something earlier on the conversation, but, I, but we didn't get to it. But when I went, uh, because I, I fully I fully agree, I think everyone should see a therapist. I think the word, the word therapist, there's a bit of a bad stigma, they call that, around it. Mm -hmm. uh, I just see it as like essential life coaching. Basically in school, yeah, you should ha basically ha have a talk with a therapist once a week, you know, just to, because if you then understand yourself, you can be more forgiving because you understand that certain actions that you take are based on certain experiences that you had that were outside of your control. And you're beating yourself up over that while, I don't know, certain conditionings were installed due to the environment that you grew up in and you had no control over the environment you grew up in. So is it really fair that you're going to beat yourself up over that? And when you realize what are some root causes of certain thoughts that you keep on having or certain behaviors that you're showing, you can be more empathetic towards yourself. Uh, what I wanted to come back to is when I, uh, if I if the last couple of therapy sessions that I had, and we, I, was, I was talking a little bit about, uh, especially around poker, and I was explaining her some, some situations I was dealing with. And she every time came back to, 
that I'm human, right? And that's something that we also said, yeah, okay, Renee, you're referring to some poker players, but they're not human anymore. I don't know if that's if that should be your goal, that you feel nothing like that. It's that you're human and that's perfectly okay. All the things that you're saying, it's normally that it's stressing you out. I'm like, oh, actually, good point. I never really thought about that. I was like, yeah, but I shouldn't be stressed out. But it says, that sounds like, and in general, you know, poker can be a high stressful environment. She says it's completely normal. And when I realized that, like, oh, I'm human. Yeah, actually, good point. Like, then from now on, I can have more empathy towards myself. Like, hey, this sucks. Uh, you know, like, it, it doesn't give you an ex- it doesn't it doesn't give you an excuse to be like. Uh, go full spiral into it oh i saw oh my life is so poor blah 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 you take on full victim mentality that's not the goal here but the goal is to 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 be like okay i'm a human i experience this okay this sucks but i'm still gonna try to make something better out of it taking in consideration the fact that i'm human also it helps you be a bit more nicer to the fact that you sometimes will play your b game your c game sometimes miscounted the chips you know when you have pocket jacks yeah that happens it happens <laughs> There, is, is there something uh, is there is there like uh, for example that the fact that I'm human uh, that was sort of my main takeaway I mean there were m- multiple takeaways but that was one takeaway that uh, that I can share with the audience is there maybe a takeaway because you said it was super important that like a breakthrough you had in therapy that really changed the way you approach poker or life that really increased the quality of your life that that you think listeners can associate with yeah for sure like i think one of the one of the things about poker that draws us draw us to poker is and draw some specific types of personality towards poker it's like you can make your living by yourself in your home and that attracts a lot of people that have um, troubles socializing sharing feelings and being vulnerable around people. And I think allowing you to be more vulnerable in your life is one of the most important things in the world. It's gonna make you feel better with yourself in your relationships. And I think that's something that is very not talked about, not talked about, talked about in in the scene. For example, if you don't have someone to talk like talk to when you're experiencing shitty things or when you experience good things that's a huge problem and sometimes being vulnerable to people is makes you feel helpless you know makes you feel like oh no oh you're going to through a, a bad phase now oh, yeah it's everything is good and blah, blah blah and when deep inside you you need to like to reach out to people and be like man i'm feeling like shit like this really sucks i don't think i'm gonna make it i'm not sleeping you need to share stuff with people and that's a very good quality that like a very good thing that therapy showed me like you're never gonna do anything in your life if you shut down inside yourself and then share it with others i think this is it's okay to go to someone ask for a hug ask for a kiss and say you're bad it's like it's part of being a human being yeah i couldn't agree more very very good piece of advice and also if you don't do that i think people will get into the behavior that we talked about as well that they will just you know you're not feeling okay and you're gonna then work your ass off to try to get out of that situation 
and it's not going to make you any happier or likelier that you will actually get out of the situation. Yeah, and we as men, we suffer more from that because we need to be strong and we need to be the bastion and the vanguard of the family. So we, like many people would be like, not going to talk about feelings, not going to talk about my fears I have. So, and that's just going to make you like unhappy and it's going to take people away from you, actually. You're not going to draw anyone closer being a closed person. Yeah, I remember I had to learn that as well in my relationship to be more, to share more things, to be more vulnerable unconsciously, you know, like you said, because I'm a man, I had certain conditions thinking around how it's, how you're supposed to be a man. So yeah, you don't show your vulnerable side to your, in my case, my wife. Uh, but in order to make deeper connections, you have to also show vulnerability, right? Yes. Uh, so that I would say also really has helped me in my relationship. Um, Adam, you do, do you have anything, any, any experiences uh, similar that you think the audience can learn from? And otherwise, do you have any final questions for Pedro before we let him go? I think as poker players, most players can relate to uh, shutting off emotions to some degree. Like as poker players, we pride ourselves on being rational thinkers and we live in the mind and experience emotions all in the heart. It's all like a little, oh, this fluffy, oh, icky stuff that we don't like. And we'd rather be all sensible and smart and live in our minds. And we try to push emotions away to a point where it's like, wait a second, I need to be able to express emotion. I need to be able to feel emotion. Exactly what Pedro said, it's quite vulnerable. It's really vulnerable actually to express emotions, negative ones, how you're feeling when you're down to the people, it's much easier to push that emotion away and go to the mind and rationalize or keep yourself busy or do something that doesn't allow you to process or deal with the, that emotion. But then you end up a shut off person who can't connect with people who can't have the highs of life. And you, yeah, you end up being basically a bit of a robotic person who's unable to experience the highs and the lows, which is the worst scenario. So yeah, like to bring this conversation full circle, embrace your humanness, embrace the emotions that come up and you've got to go to the, the places that scare you sometimes and be able to go to those yeah, vulnerable emotions and experience them all. The good news is poker is like a really, really good training ground because many emotions come up on a daily basis. And if you choose to uh, deal with the emotions as they come up, you can do a lot of work as a poker player dealing with emotional issues. If you have a therapist on the side who can relate some of your experiences and what's coming up in the context of poker back to other experiences in your life, all of a sudden you've got a really good uh, training grounds to to work through those things on the other side yes you might be more successful but hands down you're going to be happier you're going to be a more yeah given person empathetic towards yourself but also a more happy person towards other people because you can share life experiences with people so yeah i think that you guys covered it all, all the topics got covered brilliantly by you guys and yeah that just kind of rounds it rounds it all off and yeah i've got some further questions but i'm going to actually leave them because we'll be in over three hours and i want to respect pedro's time been an amazing guest i'd like to thank you and yeah ready i'll leave it over to you to do the usual closing yeah i want to i want to cool. thank everyone especially pedro i mean it's been a great conversation uh like i said we hadn't talked prior i always, actually i really like that because it's, it's always a surprise what you get i did hear good things about mm -hmm. you and they weren't lying man uh, great conversation i'm sure our audience loved it as well yeah, I'm very happy to, to have met you and uh, to have had this opportunity to have this uh, podcast with you. Cool, yeah, it was a great honor. Very, very cool experience to like, share my 
experiences, my, my thoughts with you guys and to absorb, absorb everything that you guys also talked about. It was great. I really enjoyed it. All right, that was it for the conversation we had with Pedro. Let's go over some main takeaways. A lot of wisdom as always. Adam, could you manage to pick out a couple of uh, golden nuggets from this conversation? I'll try my best. There's a long conversation, three hours to pick through. But yeah, so many great uh, lessons and wisdom that came from today's guest. And yeah, I think one of the main ones I was getting throughout there was this kind of long-term process. He talked about almost like learning skills and applying that knowledge, but also being very present and not thinking too far ahead. He's somebody who's always just building that next brick, pu pushing that next step, achieving that next metric, and he's not looking too far ahead. So last year, he just got the, the player of the year on pocket fives, and it wasn't even a goal of his. Other players would have set that as a big, big metric. He was just busy playing, playing the next tournament, playing the next series, and because his process was so good, it's unable to have a lot of success. So there's a good blend of a long-term process, but being very present and committed to the next thing that's in front of you. I really like this story about um, what you, a lesson you learned from swimming. I think he said his swimming coach told him after a bad race, nothing is lost. And I think that's a great motto and life lesson that poker players can learn. And by nothing is lost, it means you're learning valuable skills on your way. So you're learning even during the downswing, you're learning how to handle variance. You're learning how to build resilience. You're learning things about yourself in that moment so uh, when things are going bad to remind yourself nothing is lost it's all training it's all practice it's all a process i'm going through is a huge life lesson for poker players then he talked about accepting downswings and the way he does that is he doesn't get too attached when things are going good and he also doesn't get let himself get too down when things are going badly by always committing to his like fundamentals and he has almost like things he does on a daily basis a process he follows that allows him to uh, feel like he's winning or doing moving towards his goals so even on downswings rather than getting to his ego attached to results we talked a lot about the ego and how very often we're trying to validate ourselves with external outcomes he, he gets in touch with what he's actually doing on a daily basis that allows him to uh, move towards his goals and then finally i liked his uh, like the biggest success takeaway or biggest thing life lessons learned from poker was thinking in ev the ability to uh, think about life circumstances and your poker career in terms of expected value and i think that it's just such a great skill because you think in terms of probabilities and possibilities which is the game of life and very often we we, we think in terms of black and white 100 zero percent but everything's got probabilities once you yeah, train yourself through poker to think in EV. It's sometimes hard because, like, even in, as a, in a session, you often win a lot of money or lose a lot of money. It feels like, oh shit, like I've done good or bad here. But in reality, the EV of that session was probably very different to what the outcome was. So it's, it takes like almost like daily rewiring. But once you train yourself to think in EV, it becomes like a, a great almost like um, system to think through any life decision. So yeah, those are the main ones that I got. How about yourself, Renny? What was the main things you wrote down? Yeah, especially less to points you you talked about is really going less with the big ups and downs in poker, right? And he he also talked about um, he's really a realist and he doesn't bullshit himself. And he sees reality as is and recognizes like, oh, I got quite lucky here. And doesn't get off, you know, doesn't let his ego take over like, oh, I'm the best now and I can beat these higher games, right? He was very much against uh, shot taking and he gave the example of, kind of ICM implications on your bankroll that basically uh, the impact of losing is greater than the impact of winning, right? Because if you lose your role, then it's over sort of, uh, right? It's just like in a tournament with ICM. So I thought that was 
that was a really interesting one. You in details talked about the long-term picture, but mainly in, again, the risk assessment. He's very risk aware. Don't want to say he doesn't take risks, but he's very risk aware and takes, yeah, takes good opportunities when, uh, when they arise. Um, we also talked a little bit when I asked him like good advice for like mid six players. And he actually didn't go too much about technical stuff. Uh, like we did talk about how important it is to study theory and mainly if you understand what the correct theory is, we can learn how to exploit better, right? That's definitely a philosophy of his, but he was talking more about other things like uh, which sites to play on, which tournaments to actually play. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting. Often we think about our win rate as, okay, how can we improve our win rate? Yeah, we should become... Uh, we should study this part better, but there's so, I think there's maybe like 50 ways to increase your win rate. And only one of them is, for example, to go through the solver. However, most of the people spend time in that specific area. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was interesting to see that he definitely had awareness around that area. Uh, we also talked a little bit about feelings are good. And uh, I wrote down a point that you said, be more fluffy. So I, I really liked it, that one as well. We talked a little bit about empathy, especially in terms of therapy, if you better understand where certain behaviors of yourself come from that you might uh, beat yourself up over in the past. But if you learn how this behavior was installed of you by certain conditionings, by certain environments, you can then show more empathy towards yourself and stop beating yourself up. And I think in general, empathy is a very uh, good skill to have. So yeah. Thank you uh, for everyone who made it all the way to the end. Long episode, but you know, the longer, the better in a certain way. I mean, that meant that it, it means that we have a lot of good things to talk about. We're not just pushing it over over three hours just because you know we want to reach three hours. Actually, our goal is usually to keep it to keep it uh, to keep it under. But hey, here we are. I keep on rambling. It's only getting longer. So let's close it up right now. Thank you all for tuning in, and see you in the next episode. Now, if you learned something in this episode, we would much appreciate it if you like and subscribe. Leave a comment with your main takeaways. Give us a five-star rating and follow the pod. This way we can reach more players and help them reach their big and ambitious poker goals. And if you want us to help you get to those goals, go over to pokerambition.com to find out more.